0: Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia,
1: Michael, what's going on?
2: We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game?
1: Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? We get Michael Castillo on the phone.
0: Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe. <laughs> USB is 5 and 7, and not going to
3: a ball. Oh.
0: All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 347, coming to you on Thursday, November 21st. We're going to look back at USC's win over Cal and ahead to Saturday's rivalry matchup with the UCLA Bruins. We'll be joined with our friends from the What's Bruins show to preview the game and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash of Troy. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash of Troy. Our email address is reignoftroy at fanside.com And our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia D'Artola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. How goes it? Uh, we are back um, after a little bit of a delay. We were, we were going to record a Cal episode, uh, then life kind of got in the way, uh, and we couldn't on Monday, and so here goes a double, double banger. Probably our longest episode of the season, I would say.
4: Well, hopefully, if the computers cooperate and stop uh giving us giving us issues like they have for the last few weeks and like they did for the last hour and a half (laughs) so this is true uh, if i if i if the energy drink that i'm currently sipping keeps me awake long enough to have this be the longest episode of the season then great
2: hey you are an hour behind me so this is true uh it's it's later here for me it's already midnight well past midnight Uh, for me in Phoenix uh, than it is for you. Uh, So I am the true victim here. Uh, And potentially you guys are the victim listening at home because my mic has been acting a fool here. Uh, And it's been really annoying. And so if it gets a little wonky, we're sorry. We've tried everything. We can't figure out why it's a little crackly for some reason. We're just going to roll with it. Roll with the punches because USC's final game of the season is on Saturday. Saturday. Uh, and we have to, have to, have to, have to talk about it. Yeah.
4: And it's another one that's just like impossible to talk about. I almost give up in trying to like make sense of the teams that USC is going to face or how USC is going to play in any particular game. Like, I could not have been more wrong about the Cal game, even though I was really right in the over unders, not to get ahead of ourselves. But like, wow, spoiler I- alert. I mean, spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, as bad as my prediction for the game was, my over-under picks were all very on point. Um, but that's just the way it goes for USC these days, right? Like, expect the unexpected. Who knows what's going to happen? And, hold and on. with UCLA, oh, hold on. it's it's the same.
2: We were, we were talking before we started recording and you made a Doughboys reference. Mis- like, inadvertently. And just yeah. now you made a, an inadvertent Big Brother reference? Apparently,
4: I'm full of references that I don't know that I'm making. Just waiting for the Seinfeld reference to come to come around.
2: I know, like yada yada yada, and there there it goes through or whatever. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, sure that. But first, hashtag. But first, uh, if you if you get that, tweet me. I, I know you probably won't. Uh, but first, let's get to uh, talking about things that you can support the show. Areas you, in which you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash of Troy. You can subscribe and join and get all of our bonus episodes for as little as 5 55 per month. For 10 bucks, you get to join the Slack channel and get to be a part of our growing community of diehard USC football fans. Talking about the Trojans 24-7 or literally anything else. Talking about the podcast, talking about life, talking about Thanksgiving, talking about a bunch of stuff over on our Slack channel. Uh, Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy is where you can subscribe. If you don't want to support the show there, you can support the show on Apple Podcasts with a new review. And we've got a couple to read here. First one comes from Samuel in South Carolina, who says, Awesome show, five stars. If you are a Trojan fan, then Reign of Troy Radio is such a great show to listen to. Michael and Alicia are awesome commentators and do a great job of breaking down the games and providing excellent content on all things USC football. Keep up the great work, guys, and fight on. We also got five stars from Aaron Fig 26 who says, Rot is a great podcast for the everyday fan. Michael and Alicia give unbiased info and keep it light and humorous, but still give hard-hitting insight, even though Alicia is a Notre Dame alum. Notre Dame High School.
4: Notre Dame High School. It's the same thing. The, the, The Black Knights. Notre Dame High School. It's the same fight song. I I just, I just, it is the same fight song. Uh, just like Cal and UCLA have the same fight song, coincidentally. This is true. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I do feel the need to, like, reiterate that every couple of podcast episodes (laughs) because we have had people (laughs) come up and ask about how I'm a USC fan if I went to Notre Dame. Well, there's the answer Notre Dame High School.
2: It's the same thing. It's literally the same thing. Uh, Not really. Mm, eh, it's yeah. just about the same thing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about USC's win over the Cal Golden Bears. Uh, Trojans beat the Bears 41 17. Uh, we're going to talk about the over under and talk about uh, USC's best game of the year. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, let's get into USC's win, 41-17. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, life happened this week, and you weren't able to do a rewatch episode, uh, but we've rewatched the game, just skimming through it with the Pac-12 and 60. Uh, has it done it justice, USC's big win over the Bears up in Berkeley?
4: Yeah, it <laughs> the game was... Interesting uh, to, to, to do a, a quicker, lighter rewatch on instead of my normal deep dive. And what I came away with, just the overriding thing, was just Keaton Slovis is really good and so is Michael Pittman. And you also got really good, you know, Drake London out of it. And it was nice to have Stephen Carr back. And USC's offense just went off. And it's hard to say what Cal would have done if Chase Garbers had stayed in the game um, because. He, by the time he went out injured, USC had already proven that they could stop Cal uh, here and there. So it's hard to say how it would have got would have gone, but really the focus has got to be on what USC did to that Cal secondary, which you sort of wouldn't expect, except that Keaton Slovis embraced uh, a, a form, a controlled form of, of YOLO raid, and it really worked out for USC. So um, it really just comes back to, when you have those wide receivers, when you have those wide receivers and you have a quarterback who can deliver the ball to them and give them a chance, like, very few defenses can actually contend with that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I think if, if SC plays the way that they did in that game, um, they're a 9-10 win team. Uh, they, they played 60 minutes. They did the thing that we talked about in the car cast. They took advantage of a bad Cal offense, which is what good teams are supposed to do, put them in the place if they're not up to par, and they beat a legitimately good Cal defense through the air, which is what you want to do. You want your best to beat their best, and that's what USC's best side of the ball did. Uh, The passing game beat Cal's best side of the ball, the pass defense, uh, and they were able to do that, and they end up being ranked 23rd in the college football playoff rankings. And... Now we can talk about how absurd that is for for seven and four USC to be ranked number twenty three, but you know if SC played that way uh, on Saturday every single week, then being ranked twenty third is not a problem at all. We'd we'd expect them to be ranked.
4: Well, putting up that many points on that Cal defense. This is the first time that Cal's defense has given up forty plus points and. In- you know, like two seasons, two full. I think seasons. it was
2: twenty-seven games.
4: Yeah, so like what USC did, that that's legit, and that's um, if you really, if you want to sort of draw this out, you point to Keaton Slovis being at the end of his freshman season, finally settled in in his position. You look at the quarterback and the wide receivers really being on the same page you look at the offense really ticking over everything set uh, every the the offensive coordinator figuring himself out all of that kind of stuff and yeah if you're a voter you can look at it and say yeah look at the talent on that team if this team is playing like that then they then they are one of the top 25 teams in the country but what for me what set this this win apart from the last ones that we've seen is just the way that USC put their foot on the gas and they didn't let up and you know they settle for field goals a couple of times but those drives where they settle for field goals are the kinds of drives that I highlighted last week for the ASU game as the, you know, um, drive-killing mistakes situation that, that that has been so frustrating for USC. Except instead of getting zero points from it, USC was getting three points from it a couple of times. And that can make a difference. And if you're, if you're getting something out of every drive, then you're going to rack up 41 points. You're going to keep moving and keep moving and keep moving. And it wasn't a situation where, like the ASU, sorry, the Arizona game, you could compare it because USC puts up a lot of points in that game. But USC puts up points in that game, like almost with a, it, it, it felt felt like it, the the time where USC pulled away in that game was more of a an illusion for this for the final score than what this cow game was. This cow game felt like just USC putting on and putting on and putting on, taking one step in front of the other and continuing sort of to climb up the mountain, where that a, the, the Arizona game, it was just like all of a sudden, bam, Keenan Christen breaks loose for a 50-some-odd yard touchdown, a yard touchdown, and, and just big plays were what ultimately, big plays in garbage time were what ultimately put USC on top in that game, where this one it felt like it was just more sustained success across the board on offense and when you're doing that, you can really get the better of teams and you can really blow out teams in really, really impressive, impressive fashion, especially when you're playing that defense. But that's that's really what, if you want to look at it from a USC perspective where this is something USC can build on, you know, we always talk about teams have to learn how to win. And part of learning how to win is the next step is learn how to win well. And that's not something that USC has been capable of doing for the past couple of years, but You gotta take one step in the right direction, and this the you know the cow game was absolutely that one step in the in the right direction.
2: Yeah, at the the same point, like we mentioned in the car why did it take until game eleven for them to play sixty full minutes?
4: Yeah, but I mean, uh, to to play devil's advocate, uh, I agree. We should be asking why does it take till game eleven to play to play sixty full minute four minutes, full minutes, Jesus, but. When you think about it, like, if you're Graham Harrell, you can point to this and say, well, my quarterback was injured for these two weeks sure. in the middle of the Graham season. Sure, if you're you can't
2: say that if and, you're play
4: Right, right, for sure. But if you're Graham Harrell, you are justifying your existence, right? So you're saying, you know, I had to install my offense this offseason and the quarterback that I installed was not available after game one. And then the next one that came in was injured after a couple of games. And then I had another quarterback come in for another couple games. And we had a little bit of a rough patch in the middle, but now see we're rolling. And this is finally what it looks like when this offense has some momentum. And that's reasonable to say when you, when you change your offensive system, you know, the growing pains were going to be, be expected. And I, again, I'm not trying to make excuses or excuse any of the lack of development the USC has had, but this is what you do expect to see by the end of the season. If USC wasn't starting to hit their stride at this point, then you'd be really looking at it and saying, well, you know, what have you been doing this whole season?
2: Sure. Yeah, I, I get that. And I think that at the, at the same point, I think you we can look back and say, okay, are, are we being too critical of the Stanford game uh for the first 10 minutes that SC struggled in that game, uh or 16 minutes whatever it was? Are we, are we looking are we being too critical of the Arizona game? Uh and are those signs where in which SC put it together? Are we too critical of the Utah game? Uh, and so are those times when SC put it together and those should be counted uh, along with this Cal victory on the pedestal of good USC wins this year? Maybe, uh, sure, yeah. But but at the same point, I think the problem is people just want to see consistency. Uh, and they don't want to, to, to have SC have a great game in Week 2 against Stanford uh, and then a bad Week 3 against BYU and then a great week against Utah in week 4. Uh and then, you know, up and down and up and down and then a great week against Colorado, I mean sorry, against Arizona in in week 8. And then down again against Colorado and having to pull that out and then up again and then down again and then up again. Like people just want consistency week in and week out. And we haven't been able to see this team string together multiple weeks. Of them putting together at least fifty minute games, forty five minute games, right? That 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 look, that look great. What what was SC's two best two week stretch of the season? Notre Dame Arizona back to back. Like, is, is that it? I mean, may I guess? Yeah. I yeah I guess right. That's like, hard. Yeah. I, I guess you can say ASU cow but like again, the SC scored three points in the last three quarters of against ASU so I I would say that the Notre Dame game on the road in a loss was better than the ASU game so I I I don't know you just you need to see consistency the good news for SC is that UCLA uh is more than ready to potentially give USC another opportunity to be a punching bag uh and and maybe give SC that back-to-back you know smooth sailing win here but you don't know what to expect from UCLA anyways.
4: Well, and that's why this UCLA game does matter in a sense, because if USC is trying to convince anybody of their um, uh, of their level this year, then a consistent four-quarter performance against UCLA would go a long way towards proving, yeah, we can string together two straight weeks where, where this isn't just a fluke. Uh, and that's the problem, like you were getting at. A lot of the really good wins that USC has had, the good performances that USC has had, have ultimately felt a bit fluky because of what happened the week before the week after. So this is the last chance that USC has really to prove that the Cal game was not a fluke um, and that they can take it to an inferior opponent.
2: Yeah, and so let's just say SC goes out there and boat races UCLA. So then, can you say, okay, well, the last three quarters of the ASU game on offense were a fluke, the Oregon game was a fluke? Yeah, maybe you can make that argument, but but even still, I don't think there's anything that you, that SC can prove against UCLA to validate any of this uh, at this point. Well, so it's the, a rivalry game, the way, and you
4: can blow out your rival like that. That has value no, 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 in no, and of right. itself. I right, know right, we're right. I know we're way down the line on everything that has to do with this program, and no one wants to hear like. The under different circumstances the way that we would be talking about this game but the fact of the matter is if USC were to blow out UCLA under different circumstances that would be unequivocally a great thing for USC
2: sure I'm just saying they're, the only thing that is going to save the opinion of the season uh, is if SC backed in the Pac-12 championship game soundly gets revenge on Oregon and then goes and wins the Rose Bowl that's it
4: yeah I mean, yeah, but you know, that those if, kinds of if, things are not in USC's and nuts control. And blah blah blah. Yeah. Right. Well, the only thing in USC's control this week is playing UCLA to the best of their abilities, right?
2: And uh, giving me some hope in over under, which leads us <laughs> into talking about last week's over under. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia. How quick should we just go through this really quick? I'm sure the people at home are not interested.
4: Oh, not not interested at all. I mean, we can go through this no. very quick if you want. I know you don't want to linger on any one of these. So N-
2: None of these. I mean, people are not really interested at home. I entered the week with a four-game lead. I was 37-30. Mm-hmm. and 30. You were 33 and 34 under 500. Uh, First one, you said over under 19 and a half points for Cal. You took the under. I took the over. Cal at 17. You get it.
4: Yep. They'd been averaging 19 points per game. I thought there was a a chance that they would be above that because they got Chase Garbers back. But the moment he was no longer available, uh, yeah, that
2: wasn't going to happen. They were real bad. Real bad on offense. Yeah. Uh next one, over under thirty-four and a half percent of Cal's total tackles being attributed to either Evan Weaver or Coin Dang. They had combined for thirty-four and a half of the total season uh total tackles at that point going into the game. Uh Alicia, you said under, I said under. It was under. They had twenty-five of the seventy-five. Which was thirty three point three percent, just one percentage point. Evan Weaver gets a lot of the headlines, but
4: rewatching that game, you hear Coin Dang's name a lot.
2: He had a good yeah. game. Yeah, there's a lot of plays. You're like, dang, he made he made an attack. <laughs> yep. Uh, next one. Uh, we can just go through this one really quick. You said over or under three and a half sacks for USC. You took the over, I took the under. SC had five. We doubled it so you get an extra bonus point. Um why did why did we double it, Michael? I we, I don't remember. We don't doubled recall. it
4: because somebody called it a lock. That USC would recall. have less than four sacks. And uh
2: yeah, that's not what happened, is it? I I do not recall this. Nope. Um No, I, I don't recall that. Uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, I said over-under 158.5 rushing yards for Cal. They were averaging 158 in home games coming into the season and had 196 against Washington State the week before. You took the under. I took the over. It was 135, a big chunk of that coming on that final drive.
4: You know, the funny thing is, like, looking back at these over-unders, I was being—I was sort of betting on this being a defensive battle. And the fact that Cal— Their offense wasn't really able to do anything really helped me out here. But, like, very few of these over-unders had anything to do with USC's offense, which is fortunate for me.
2: (laughs) Anyways, next one. Eight and a half penalties for USC. The Trojans had been averaging 7.2 penalties per game, but they had three games of having eight-plus, and Cal opponents were averaging 7.4 against you took the under, I took the over. At well, least it was exactly eight, which qualifies as the under circle gets the square.
4: If it, correct me if I'm wrong too, we can go back and check the tape at some point, but I'm pretty sure I said I would take the under, but it would be very dicey because I suspected it would be eight exactly.
2: So I was very upset at this because SC had five in the first half, and I'm like, yeah. that's gonna be a good one. Lock it up. Yeah. Didn't come mm-hmm. through. Uh, last one. I said over under one and a half. Ben Griffith punts inside the 10-yard line. Nin- uh, 19 of his 42 punts this season had been inside the 20, and he had three at or inside the 10-yard line at ASU. You took the under. I was a little more optimistic here and took the over. It was one, and it came in the dying minutes of the game.
4: Yeah, that's... Basically, Ben Griffiths did not have nearly as many punts as we expected him to have because USC's offense was good in this game. So I kind of got lucky on, uh, well, I mean, not lucky, but again, it was one of those ones where like if the over-under had been phrased differently <laughs> and uh, focused in on uh, on USC's offense being good, it uh, wouldn't have gone my way. But it did go my way. So My God, Ben Griffiths. Yeah. You want to, You want to read the fi- final tally, Michael?
2: We can just skip ahead to the score predictions. People mm-hmm. at home don't don't need to know that you went seven and zero, and I went one and six, and you now have a two game leading over under.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> not so. Uh. Not so. Not so braggy now, are you?
2: Game predictions. Bill Connolly said USC would win by thirteen with a win probability of 77%. Vegas said SC by 6.5. You said Cal 16, SC 15. I said SC would win 27-21. Nobody was right in this game, maybe with the exception for Bill Connolly. SC wins big, 41-17. Uh, really, you could knock off a touchdown on each side and call it 34-10. I think that would that would suffice if you want to lop off some some garbage time, SC won this game soundly.
4: Yep, totally got it wrong the way I thought this game was going to play out. Got it very, very wrong. Um I don't know that anyone anticipated USC's offense doing that to Cal's defense. Even Bill Connolly's uh prediction 33 to 20 doesn't quite get to the uh the way that, that game actually worked out.
2: Yeah, I- exactly. Let's go to the Reign of Troy Pick 'em League. Not a good week for us. I certainly struggled. I went 11 and 10 in picks. You uh went 14 and 7 a little bit better. You were 16th for the week. I was 35th for the week. Uh currently for the season, I dropped down to 16th place. Sorry, I, no, I'm in a tie for 13th. Hey, look at that. Uh with a record of 144 uh, and 101 and you, my friend, are way down, way, way, I keep, gotta keep scrolling, 53rd uh, for the season with a record of 121 and 124. Uh, if you look f- at the top of the leaderboard, Air Rain for the win now has a two-game lead over Warhop Way and Kangaroo30, and Scantily Clad Peristyle, great name by the way, uh, is in fourth for the week last week. Who won the week? It was a five-way tie between Air Raiden for the win, uh, Skateboard Times LB, LA Fred, Clueless, and Out-of-State Trojan fan. They all went 16 and 5, which is really good. Certainly better than me. Yeah, certainly better than me. I, I've been a struggle bus. Everything throughout my entire life lately, last week, absolute struggle bus. Nothing's going my way. But there's there's other people who's not going their way. Our friends from What's, the What's Bruin show, uh, UCLA coming off of a 49-3 to 3 drubbing at the hands of Utah. You went earlier this week to the What's Bruin studios to talk to our friends Jake, Mike, and Jamal and uh, had a, had a good chat about USC and UCLA. We'll play that up next.
4: All right, I'm here, and I am very happy to be joined by the What's Bruin show, guys. Yo, yo, yo.
1: Hello. We got... Hola.
4: We got Jake.
1: Yes, I'm
5: here.
4: We got Mike. Hello. We got Jamal. Liverpool. I despise UCLA. (laughs) Six times, buddy. You're wearing the wrong colors,
5: Jamal. Six times. Wearing the wrong colors. Six times. Yes. Uh, and
4: and we're here. This
5: isn't a Mercy Side rivalry week. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> uh, thankfully, I couldn't handle. It.
4: I'd be more invested in in that than than this than this rivalry game. Um, but yeah. I, I'm I'm very excited to get to talk to you guys about, here at the What's Bruin Studios at the What's Bruin Show Studios North. Yes, I uh, was. Well, that? There's a, it's just the What's Bruin it's Studios at West this West West point. Bruin yeah, shows. we don't go anywhere else. Man, anymore. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah.
1: There you yeah. Go. F so, those other guys.
4: <laughs> very happy to get to chat with you guys because. I don't understand UCLA. I don't think anyone understands UCLA. But if somebody's going to understand UCLA, it's going to be the guys who run a UCLA podcast. Hold on,
5: there—that's not exactly true.
4: (laughs) Yeah, we don't. We we have no (laughs) idea what happens
5: to.
4: Okay, so they're great. They're
1: terrible. They're all things.
5: So they are all things, right?
4: That's that's. I think I want first to get your guys' perspective Mm -hmm. on. Tell me the story. Paint the picture for me of UCLA's season. Just give me, like, the the too-long-didn't-read, the Reader's Digest, like, what has UCLA done this year and how, what does it mean?
6: DTR just fumbled it again inside the red zone. Oh,
1: that, that's
5: pretty much what the story <laughs> of the season is. The, yeah. DTR just fumbled it again inside the red zone. After improving um, in the second half of last season, there was a lot of hope going into this season, and uh, it was almost a carbon copy. UCLA lost their first three non-conference games, uh, came into the Washington State game, gaining their butt kicked by halftime. Don't you mean the preseason games? Yeah,
1: whatever.
5: Yeah, uh, yeah it's Chip didn't count. Kelly yeah, probably uh, <laughs> views them as. Galaxy brain um, going on over there. Yeah, Chip and then Kelly? all of a sudden UCLA Chip explodes Kelly? for 67 points, then loses to Arizona and, and then Oregon State, and then has a three-game win streak, and then gets decimated by Utah, and here we are again. So... Two games out of bowl contention. Um, UCLA only won three last year. They won four this year, so it's a step up. And there are improvements overall, but um, I don't think... um, Well, the fan base... uh, uh, The football team isn't where the fan base uh, uh, wants them to be. Uh, Chip Kelly, I don't think the football team is where he wants it to be, but there is improvements. And, you know, we've talked about it from week to week. There are little uh, uh improvements little tweaks little things he does that 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 shows improvement um but for the most part it's it, it, it's gradual progress but not enough to uh turn the entire fan base uh to into uh chip Kelly lifers
1: yeah the Bruin fans are still chip Kelly kind of like uh you know they don't know whether to be apathetic they don't know whether to kind of seize on these these kind of positive moments or just be utterly just depressed and wait for the end kind of you know get to the place where Trojan fans are with help quite quite Frank Frank Quite frankly, Quite and um, frankly. yeah, yeah I'm, I'm Dabby Duck over here. <laughs> uh, but um, it, it is funny because, you know, they, they started 0 and 6 last year or whatever, and then they had some progress and, and showed some good things. And including like the highlight of last year was, of course, the victory over SC uh, where Josh Kelly just you know ran roughshod and um, coming into the season, as Mike said, are much more optimistic. And then they start one and five. Um, but then they, you know, they reel off the three in a row. The the one of the one and five was that game against Washington State, where they show this tremendous ceiling in some respects. But then it's like, well, really, who are they doing against? Are were those good teams? Were those were there circumstances that made it to where they could win like that? And it's it's a little bit of all those things. And and the really like just the puzzling, the troubling thing, and why you don't know what UCLA is, and why we don't know what UCLA is, is that if you squint. And look back and say, well, why did they start o for last season? And you say, well, they ran off a bunch of guys, putting in Chip Kelly's culture. Um, Chip Kelly. They had guys suspended, you know, to establish that culture. You know, things like Boss Tagaloa um, coming back, you know, uh, like a third of the way through the season, kind of got him jump started. And then Josh Kelly, you know, discovering what he can do, kind of got him jump started last year. And you're like, okay, well, we can see why they were a dreadful team early and then they turn into an okay team late, right, to where you'd expect to be better this year. Well, coming into this year, same kind of goddamn thing, where you look back and you're like, well, gee whiz, you come into the season and Josh, Josh Kelly gets hurt, Theo Howard is hurt, Darnay Holmes is hurt, these are three of their best playmakers, best guys, and you look at kind of the fact that they're playing three, what turned out to be pretty good teams in San Diego State, Oklahoma, and um, Cincinnati, and they they really played some some. You know, pretty close games against those teams and they lose the first game because DTR was just dreadful, kind of as dreadful as he was against Utah. He but there's that. a lot of circumstantial things, you know? And so when you look back and you're like, well, they kind of started to get better as the year goes on. So you're really left with, yeah, they were one and five at the beginning of the season. But even with this Utah loss, they could go five and one to end the season. So are they good? Do they suck terribly? Are they somewhere in between? Are they just mediocre as they've been for 20 years? That's why every Bruin fan is just like, just has no idea what to do.
7: I mean it just as my esteemed colleagues here have said it's pretty much been an up and down sort of season you know where you see some improvement you see some thing where they're buying into the Chip Kelly era and then it's just like Chip Kelly then you're reminded of where they are really at I mean I think that's really at the this last game is you could see the disparity between the two teams, and you know, if you discuss your your game, it's kind of to well, me it's a similar story.
4: Yeah, everything you guys are saying sounds very familiar to me as a as a uh, USC person. Um, but so I guess I guess one of the questions I have for you guys is something that I often think about when it comes to USC, which is USC. I've described them as very medium. Mediocre on a bad day. Yeah. And I think one of the tenets of being medium is less that you don't know what version of USC is going to sh- sh- turn up every day. It's that the version of the, of USC that turns up is directly a reflection of the opponent that you're playing. So, for instance, you play Oregon. They're good. They kill you. Uh, you play Utah at the Coliseum. They're Utah on the road, and they let you beat them. Um you turn up against, you know, Arizona, they're bad, you destroy them. Yeah. Um the Cal thing, I still don't quite understand how how that happened because I don't think Cal is bad.
1: But you were happy about that game for goodness sakes. Yeah. I I mean, had you had no
4: complaints. T- I had no complaints. I didn't know First what to do. First time all myself. year, right? So like, but part of me wonders going into that game, Cal had been on a backslide, they lost their starting quarterback, you know. Maybe maybe Cal was in just a bad place and USC took advantage. So my question about UCLA is, is UCLA's schedule, is USC, is UCLA's, are UCLA's results this year, is it a different UCLA, UCLA team that's turning up every week or is it a reflection of, who you're playing every week. I think you can
1: still make the case that this team is getting better week by week. And obviously Utah was a huge setback and obviously the, you know, that being a national team, national game against a top 10 opponent, um, you know, that just kind of allows the narrative of Chip Kelly, uh, you know, struggling at UCLA to continue um, Chip Kelly? and th- how uneven they are to continue because I mean, there's no defending that big of an ass kicking. But with that being said, if you just sat there and watched the game and you look at the things that went wrong, I mean, it was more of a, kind of a, a, a you know almost a player meltdown. I mean once again DTR had four turnovers. Not all those turnovers were his fault completely, but still, you know, they, they're very they're very self defeating in that moment well, that against was a really good team.
4: USC against Oregon, four turnovers from the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, of course you get blown out.
1: And you can make the case that look, I mean, if you're playing a national powerhouse team and you're not quite up to you know up to your best game, then the potential to be blown out is definitely there. And I think you could make the case that um that Kelly kind of kind of circled the wagons and, and or or packed it in more more so as that game went on to make it to where it even got more ugly than it than it could have been. Um, and I think the the game, as bad as a 49-3 ass kicking is, it was closer than the score indicated. Like, I think if they were playing any other opponent that wasn't red hot like Utah is. Well, I think at
3: Rice-Eccles. At but... Rice-Eccles, right? And
1: by the way, U- UCLA historically has been, had their ass handed to them in Utah USC like too. four or five times in the last you know decade and a half. So uh, there was a lot of things not working in favor. With that being said, I think that you could definitely make the case that this team has improved as the year's gone on and there's things that they're doing um uh, pretty darn well now if you forget about the Utah game uh that you could you know I, I could think about them taking on the Trojans this week and things going in their favor I could I could definitely imagine a world where that happens to where you know the things that I think that we can predict are going to go right for UCLA are going to keep them in that game and give them a a chance to to make it their game now is that going to happen I don't know but I don't think they're as up and down. It's just they were so dreadful early. They were barely they they were they were not competitive. And they've just gotten to a point to be sort of mediocre. And it's like, are they better than mediocre now, or are they just a mediocre team? That's the thing, that's what we're looking at now.
4: So I guess then is it a DTR or bust situation? Because at times for USC it's been when Keaton Slovis is on, like the Cal game, he just rips you apart, even though we think you have a good defense. And like DTR, I feel like in that Washington State game was like, geez, this kid can yeah. make plays. But then, you know, I watched the, um, was it the Cincinnati game? And just like, dude, you're supposed to hold on to the ball. Like, Maybe don't play. You're not playing Aussie rules football. You're not supposed to dribble it. Yeah,
1: not just Or like sp- in
5: Utah. Don't run 15 yards behind the line yeah. of scrimmage when yeah. you're scrambling.
4: So, so is is UCLA? Is it, it? Does it really just come down to if DTR has a good game, UCLA will be competitive against USC or? Are there other issues that you would that you would see as impacting the outcome of, of this game coming forward? I
1: think that's a huge I think that's a huge factor. I mean, number one, I mean, you guys uh, you know the, the Trojans have kind of like a, a video game-ish set of receivers, right? And so yeah. that's like a game-changing, game-breaking uh, you know, facet of this and and can the Bruins deal with that? That remains to be seen because their secondary hasn't really, you know, if there's been a supreme weakness of their defense, it's been that this year, although they've gotten a lot better as the season's gone on up until they they took on Utah. Um but to think that they are going to be able to stop the Trojans' uh passing attack, I don't think that's very likely. But if but they you, can
4: You won a game 67-63 this year, so. Yeah, that was yeah. against
5: a shite uh, <laughs> defense.
1: But at the same time, but at the same time, you, <laughs> you look see
5: at the USC's defensive <laughs>
1: numbers at the last half of the in the in the last half of the season ucla has been able to dial up some pressure against everybody except for Utah and they've been a lot better at that so if they can get if, you know I know Slovis was successful because he was kind of moving around and letting the plays develop if they can come up with some sort of plan to not let him let the play develop then I think they got a fighting chance because you know if, if he doesn't have time to throw the receivers the receivers don't have time to get open and I think that Bruins have the bruins have you know uh, at least a few athletes that can Try to get in their way to where it's right. not just gonna be not just gonna be running rough shot over them. Um, but that's a big if. On the offensive side of the ball, I definitely think it it's it is purely about DTR at this point because I think the offensive line plays well enough. I think Josh Kelly is an absolute stud, and I think that he is very motivated to do what he did last year. He's probably not going to have that great of a game, but he I think he's still he wants to have an impact in the game, and I think the Browns have playmakers. On the you know all over the field that can damage a uh, USC defense that is not the the you know the, the country's greatest defense right I mean there yeah. are times when they've given up some points I mean what's the threshold isn't it like you know they're gonna give up 30 points isn't that what we say our,
4: yeah our the Randy Troy the standard is USc's defense will give up between 20 and 30 points
1: there you go yeah so I mean they're gonna give up 20 30 points so if the Bruins can get on the high side of that I think they're definitely gonna you know they're going to have a chance to be in it because I don't think their defense will fail like it failed um against Utah. Uh, I just I just don't think it will because y- y- I, just, I just I don't think SC is as good of a team as Utah is right now. Well, so the, I think that's and fair the fall, to say.
4: Well, I doesn't have the power of cycles.
1: Like, yeah, I mean, all those things. All those things, right? And you know, it's a rivalry game and you know and the Bruins are two touchdown underdogs. I think there's a lot of things working in the kind of the working in their favor just in the in
5: the in the chief actor, hopefully. Um so you know, we'll have to see. You know, you you're were, you were talking about uh, the 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 defense, and when I was doing some more, um, you know, my preliminary research for for this uh, this week, I was looking at USC's defensive numbers, and I was like, dear God, they're very similar to, to UCLA. Um, I mean, I think they're the USC's defense is a little better, but both UCLA uh, UCLA and USC have similar characteristics. It, it, wherein one week you're like, oh my God, this, this this team can beat anybody, and the next week is like. Oh my God! They're crap. Yeah, no, they they just they just got uh, um, uh, beat by a team that they should have you know destroyed, um, and it's just it's just this kind of like bipolar mentality with both of them and you know and obviously both um programs have different problems uh U- U- USCs seems to be a little bit more interior and by god i feel sorry for for clay halton um it's just all this talk None of their and, listeners and, 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 i was going like, to say oh yeah no no i, I understand <laughs> but but just to be like like oh you know urban Meyer is going to be the next coach and clay halton's probably right there going Hi guys, I'm still here. Literally um, the entire season. Yeah, and then you have everybody on UCLA side going, "Why did we bring in Chip Kelly? F this guy. This this is Chip this Kelly? is horrible. You know, he's not doing anything." And then all of a sudden, you know, uh Joshua Kelly or or the you know, the running backs are, are running for over 200 yards and all of a sudden it's like, "Oh, he's an offensive genius." So it's like, guys, can we just, you know, uh analyze the product afterwards? Because um, both of, both teams are not elite, clearly, um, but you know it's it's still a rivalry rivalry game, and it's you, you know, they're they're going to be different different emotions are brought up during uh, games like this, so it, it could go anybody's way. But at the same time, I expect in this game to see a crappy UCLA team and a very good UCLA team and a crappy USC team and a very good USC huh, team, yeah. <laughs> you know, just in different parts, uh, just kind of interweaving their way. through. I
4: totally them. agree with that. By the way,
5: like yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and. Yeah, you even though I said that UCLA shown some improvement it they have given us whiplash numerous times yeah. in the Chip Kelly era and it's just it is very very frustrating because they go from being are they good to no they're absolutely not <laughs> to oh they're getting better to oh my gosh another giant huge setback and it's like you know I was counting up all the you know, the parade of horrors for the Mora era, like the, oh, they just they lost to Stanford, uh, you know, 77th straight time. And oh, yeah, they just got blown out on the road for the, you know, this time or whatever. And you weren't expecting Chip Kelly to have those sorts of, um, you know, th- those sorts of Chip Kelly of records on the book. But now that he's gone through, he's got like you know the the two worst starts in UCLA football, uh, in like 50 years. You know, and there's a. You but know, he beat Stanford. Though know, we finally got over on Stanford. You know, the worst loss, the worst. You know, the, he, they granted Utah their best. Pa- you know, win in the Pac-12 era. All these things. So, you know, God help us. The the one thing I am excited about though, is that this game. Even though it seems like the Pac-12 title is is out of the reach of both teams, right? Or the Pac-12 South, I should say. Um, you know, I don't think it doesn't look like Utah is going to take an L. But there are stakes in this game, and so that's nice, you know. Because on one hand, UCLA is battling to try to get to a bowl, and I think if, I think even with the lost Utah, if they are able to beat US, USC and beat Cal, uh, sorry Jamal, um, getting to a bowl. After the start they had, you know, one and five going five and one, that's something that they can absolutely build on.
4: Well, it's not implausible yeah, to, I mean, to say that UCLA could beat USC and then beat Cal. I mean, they beat
1: USC, they definitely can definitely beat Cal, you know. Yeah. They so, can definitely so, beat Cal. So on UCLA <laughs> side, they're battling for that bowl game. And for SC, like, I know the fans don't want to hear it, but those players, like, I mean, you're you're there, you're at practice. Aren't those players Fighting for at least a little bit, fighting to to give Helton the best possible case he can to say, "Hey, I want to hang around here."
4: They still have not given up on him. That's so all I, I'm saying. That was about to happen. So I have. That,
5: a- that was one question, like uh, from from your one question I wanted to ask you from your perspective, from what you've heard, seen, you know, whatever. Has he lost the locker room?
4: Never. Nope. They still love him. Mm. Yeah. As far as as far as we can tell, but that was something I wanted to ask you guys because I think I saw you tweet out Mike. Something about Tuesday's practice at UCLA being very low energy. Yeah, I, I wasn't there. That, know that what was that's act, about.
5: that was actually Tracy. Um, oh, okay, you know you can definitely tell it's it's weird. In the last three wins, um, you know UCLA practices on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm there for Monday, Wednesday. During the three wins, um, or the or, or or on the Wednesday practices prior to their last uh, their, their three wins, there was just a, a different energy. There were like there positive? was positive positive like, energy. Up. Yeah, uppity uh, guys going after it a little bit more. And I told these guys actually last week. I'm like, I will. I didn't want to make a prediction uh, about the Utah game because I kind of wanted to see how they uh, practiced Wednesday, and it was just, eh. It wasn't bad, but it was just, eh. And so that's why I kind of thought, nah, I don't think they're gonna win. So that's why uh, Wednesday this week I'm very interested interested to see, especially after what uh, Tracy uh, wrote uh, for Bruin Report Online that it just, it just. Bro. To To quickly sum it up, there just wasn't a lot of uh um urgency, I guess. Um but you know, we, we'll see. Um but as far as losing uh the locker room, um you know, definitely not. I mean there there are certain th- there there are players on this team that have um that have uh <laughs> That sound basically brought to you by Jake. Yeah Jake's dog I'm that one Michael Castillo <laughs>
3: Um
5: there, there are players Love that have pretty much turned into Chip Kelly with the way that they, uh, answer questions with the way that they rock back and forth. Like Chip Kelly, Chip does. Kelly? I've, I've had people send me messages. Can you please do something about the rocking of the video or him rocking? I'm like, I- I'm trying, I'm just trying to get him in frame, <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, it just, there doesn't seem to be, uh, any, uh, at least right now, any of the players doubting him. And I think a big part of that has to do with the fact that, um, with what Chip Kelly wanted to do, there was a, there was a reason all Chip these Kelly? players left the program um, because he wanted his own players, players that would put in the extra effort, wouldn't just quit, wouldn't you know, just uh, say I'm done and you know go on to the next big thing. There, these guys are sticking around, and you know a lot of young guys, but they're waiting to see what's going to happen. So the the players on UCLA's roster right now are
4: the ones who have already bought in and yes. and thus are not the ones that you that like. That needed to be run out, or needed to be convinced of anything or, when it comes to, or, Chip or Kelly.
5: say, say like, you know what, maybe you should find another program. Yeah, I mean that was, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, Chip Kelly kicked him out. It, it, you know, it wasn't like, hey, but Chip Kelly, I hate you, get out. It was more like, you know what, maybe. This isn't a good fit for you. You know, try to find, you know, maybe you should try to find another program.
1: And that's something that, that's kind of kept me on board, you know, because, you know, when they're one in five and you have fans saying,
5: oh, he needs to run the spread and blah, 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 And where's the
1: blur and blah, 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 blah. And I really, you know, I've said this in our show a million times that I wanted uh, Chip Kelly to run whatever Chip he Kelly. wanted to run, whatever his vision was and either succeed with it. Or fail so spectacularly that he could never be hired again, right? Uh, but I didn't want him to start changing coordinators and flipping and flopping and doing all these things, or doing something that he didn't think was going to lead to his success, because I don't think that's the way for you know any coach to succeed, much less somebody that you hired because of their vision and their ability to develop talent and all these things, right? So if he can't win his way, then it was just a bad move, and you know what are you going to do? I guess we'll have to start and on, over. At some and point. on
5: top of that, there's only I think right now there's only one or. Two active uh, players, former UCLA Bruins, that are actively playing on a team right now. Uh, from the what was what was it like? Uh, ben Bolch reported like something like sixty-seven players have left since Kelly took over. Only two, two or Chip three Kelly? have uh, are are uh, you know active participants on on their new roster. A lot oh, of wow. other guys, you know, they're transferred or waiting. Let You know, let's say like Jalen Phillips, all of a sudden said he's taking this year off, but yet he's, he's still pimping, you know, Miami, but still hasn't gotten in the game. Uh, Mike Juarez, apparently he went to Utah. Crickets, haven't heard of him. Um, the majority of guys that left that we're kind of seeing as kind of like maybe a bit of head cases just have not, you know, reemerged anywhere. So it, in hindsight, you know, looking back, it was a pretty good decision to maybe say, you know what, this isn't going to work here at UCLA for you.
1: Hang on, you heard my Mika drop.
4: Hey Mika, where, hey, where are you? <laughs>
1: We've been looking for him ever since he got recruited. It's,
4: it's my, it's my one of my favorite drops yeah. of yours. You I need I one here.
1: Uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, the, but the one thing I was impressed with with this team so far, at least from the perspective of. Have they you know we asked you have the players given up on Heldon? You say no, and even when they had that dreadful loss to Oregon State where they're down twenty to nothing in the first four minutes or whatever, um, I don't think that this team has given up on him either. So, so that's why I'm like until I see that, until I see the players just just absolutely you know calling you know just, just folding the tents or whatever, um, I'm I, I still want to see what Chip Kelly has in store for you know or what his vision actually is gonna end up being.
4: Chip so- Kelly. So as far as his vision, UCLA is two games away from bowl eligibility. Yeah. In terms of like looking back on the season and, and judging the season, how much will the bowl situation impact? Like, is there a big difference between five and seven or six and six? Is there a big difference between um, – is there a scenario where UCLA is competitive in the last two games but loses – and you still look back and think, uh, you know, Chip's, Chip's got us on the right course or whatever. Like, how important is the six wins for year three under Chip Kelly and, and the, the patience that UCLA is going to have with him?
7: For the rational people that sit at this table and talk about UCLA week in and week out. <laughs> well, uh, I'm only semi-rational, uh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> I think it'll be something. But for the outside world, you know it's it's a six and six season. is going to be poo-pooed by almost everybody uh five and seven is probably gonna be uh you know you fly d- any banners right you're you're gonna yeah exactly it's gonna be you know they've put the deposit down on the on the plane already. And they'll. Fl- they wanted to do that, like in week three or four. I'm right? sure, but th- but that's what I'm saying. If they're five and seven, that's yeah. it they're they're putting the deposit down, and the first the first minute next year when he's. I hate the flying airplane. When they're when they're <laughs> uh, when they're dealing with something, it's gonna be up in the air. I mean, I, yeah. I really think so. But if you're six and six, we just said it. They started one and five, and then you go five and one the rest of the way. And it's not like you know when we did our you know all of us together when we did our uh, preview for the season, and we were looking at the different records and stuff like we did say that UCLA's record at the end would be uh I mean not the record the schedule would be a little better just because of who they were playing but right. I think the way the season is rolled out that's not necessarily true anymore and yet they're still more competitive than they were at the beginning of the season when there was there were some games where we thought they should have played better so I think like I said for the rational people sitting here uh 6 and 6 is 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 a miracle because we were pl- we were playing the the doomsday clock here on this podcast um, but for the rest of the world, it's going to be looked at as like there's been no progress, even though yeah. it's a three win improvement.
5: Yeah.
4: Well, and how much does the uh, retirement of Dan Guerrero factor into this? Do you think that a new AD comes in and the clock does start ticking on Chip Kelly or uh, what? What's no, the deal I don't. I don't. Officially? I think
5: Chip Kelly is at minimum. Going to be given Chip Kelly three or four years. Um, If there's even more progress, because they have a a much easier schedule next year. They start off with New Mexico, Hawaii, and San Diego State. And if you don't go three and three and oh or at least two and one, uh, then you got problems. You you,
4: you can't make the you can't make the slow start again. Right? No,
5: exactly. Look,
3: look.
1: look. If this season hadn't turned out the way that it has so far, if they didn't have that three and winning streak. Jim Kelly could have been fired uh, during this Chip year, I, I solidly believe, especially when you start seeing these. Coaches. I don't think
5: so. I don't think that would have
1: happened. If they would have ended up 1-11, I guarantee you that would have been on the table because the culture around the team would have been so miserable and horrible. I I didn't think it was going to happen, and it
5: didn't happen, but... Well, I just think because of the buyout and everything that they've invested in in him with the sports science, um, it, it, and you basically have to... Uh, I think it's Troy Aikman and Casey Wasserman. You basically have to get a no from them to finally say or, or, or a nod from them to say, okay, yeah, maybe we need, this is a bad idea. I'm just idea. saying, think there.
1: about where they were a month ago and they were one in five and they could have been more negative. I mean, I'm playing, you know, backwards uh, songs on the, on the post-game show. Which it, was
5: glorious. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Um, Philip, and, Philip Glass would have been jealous.
1: I just don't think you know and then at that point they wouldn't have got this recruiting boom that they had after the the the, the three wins that you know the two three wins everything would have been so negative they would have been you know n- you know like you know like bottom you know 100 of recruiting there would have been nothing positive to where they would ha- definitely have to think about whether or not they want to keep him for the team because and by the way he was such a dick to everybody in the media too it's like he was like ingratiating himself of course because we all know chip kelly
6: chip kelly can kind of be a, a dick
1: so i mean it really you know it really was uh, such a negative negative situation if it would have continued playing out. I, I could see a scenario. I'm not saying it would have happened, but I definitely see a scenario where they would have to part with us. I, I don't think we're there anymore. But to go back to your original question, and I'll answer the thing about uh, Dan Garo too, just um, I think that five and seven can still be looked at for them as a progress year as long as the five it, it results in them beating SC this week. I don't think losing to SC and then beating Cal. I don't think that's going to float too many people's boats. I think that you know, uh, my, with all the apologies to Jamal, the game is just not going to be as important, especially if they come off of a demolishing
7: by Utah and then lose to SC. They moved it to 7:30 at night. I already know it's no significance. <laughs> yeah,
1: but you know, but that's going to hurt. So in that <laughs> regard, if you know, if they went five and five, five and seven, but they beat SC, I think fans are still you know like take some heart in that.
4: Rivalry wins do. Buy your time.
1: But I think if they do get to the bowl game, that's something where, you know, Bruin fans can plant their flag and say, because, you know, they, they finished, that's the thing, they finished 5-1, and one, and the one loss they had, even though it was a demolition, was to a team that's maybe in the college football playoff right. at this point, right? So at that point, you definitely can say, this is a team that is improved and when you look at next season you could say well there's no way they're going to start that bad again I mean they could well, but they're probably not you know so at that point that's a, something really solid to build on five and seven is a little more mediocre lukewarm and I think if they end up four and eight you know losing the last three is what it would be then I think there's there's going to be a lot of unrest still with the, the Bruin faithful and I think that uh, be very very skeptical um, heading into next season
4: well it's interesting times for UCLA it's interesting times for USC thank you guys for giving us that perspective on uh, UCLA and USC coming into this rivalry game. And we're going to take a break and come back with some over-unders.
1: I know it. And uh, I'm going to play my favorite drops.
4: Go Bruins. And (laughs) I'm happy that UCLA won.
1: Love all you Trojan fans out there. See you next time.
4: All right. See you guys.
3: (laughs) See (laughs) you.
2: All right, Alicia. We're back here on Detroit Radio, just you and me. That was a great segment with our pals from the What's the Bruins show. Let's talk about this USC UCLA game a little bit more, uh, and then get into over under uh, before we get to the mailbag. The Bruins are four and six, sixty third in SP plus. They're absolutely terrible in a bunch of defensive statistics. Their offensive statistics are up and down. Uh, you know, they scored fourteen points exactly the first three weeks. Uh, then they had a stretch where they scored 30 points in every single game for about four or five weeks before scoring three at Utah. I I, I have nothing for this game. Nothing uh, to expect. I, I, I thought for a while now, I, I thought UCLA had turned a corner and they just needed to get validated at Utah with a competitive performance and they got absolutely obliterated. And so my certainty that I could have said, you know, a week and a half ago that UCLA was going to beat SC at the Coliseum has now turned into absolute confidence that SC absolutely takes the cake in this thing. Am I nuts?
4: I mean, on paper, yeah, I mean, on paper, that's what it looks like, right? On paper, you look at it and say that... USC for all their struggles this year have been more consistent than UCLA. UCLA's been very, very up and very, very down and well, hold
2: on. The, the the fact that you can say that SC's been more consistent than another team is really tells the whole story, doesn't it?
4: Right, exactly. I mean USC has not been one and five at any point this season, you know? Like USC has not lost to Oregon Oregon State. I know they didn't play Oregon State, but USC didn't lose to Arizona. So um USC beat Utah I mean not, that game still doesn't make any sense to me but we're seeing what Utah is this year and Utah's pretty darn good so th- this whole the whole thing with UCLA is just impossible to figure out and if you just dive into the numbers there's no reason to think that they that they can contend with USC the only you know the only thing that that they contend with USC is we know that last year, Josh Kelly absolutely destroyed USC's defense. And if Josh Kelly can do that again, then, then USC is going to be in trouble. But, I mean, you look at the other numbers, we're going to get into some of this in, in, in the over-under, but, like, UCLA's pass defense is very, very, very bad this season. Um, and that's where USC's like, thrives. So, if USC can get Keaton Slovis to be who he's been for the past couple of weeks, then I, you know, USC really. Vegas has the line for this game at like thirteen points. Vegas had the line for the Cal game at thirteen points too. Or no, what what was the what Was the what was the Cal?
2: Bill, Bill Connolly had, had it at, at yeah. 13 sorry, and Bill, Bill Connolly
4: had it at thirteen points. Vegas has this one at thirteen points.
2: It's, and, it's fourteen. I, I just when I pulled the numbers for the rundown, it's at fourteen.
4: Okay, fourteen as of as of Wednesday night, and Bill yep. Connolly. Not to not to jump ahead here, but Bill Connolly has it at seventeen point six. So like the Bill Connolly's predictions are all based on the numbers. He's not doing that based on, um, you know, I think UCLA is this much better than than uh USC is this much better than UCLA or anything like that. That's the numbers are telling him that the output that USC and UCLA have, have, have had on the field this year mean USC ahead by 17 and a half points. So on paper, yeah, USC has no excuses here except that we've seen USC have you know excuses for bad performances against inferior opponents. So who the hell knows it's a rivalry game, you throw out the records and all that crap, but
2: it's oh, it weird the solid verbal uh sound sound <laughs> that work? Uh, we'll we'll yeah, say it that works. works. Let's just get in the over-under, eh? Wait, was that a little Canadian?
4: It was very Canadian. I was going to let it slide, yeah. but it was very Canadian.
2: All right. Sorry. I, I've I've been listening to a, a lot of uh, Canadian podcasts to boot hockey, but uh, we'll get into it, eh? So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. Alright there, Hoser. Uh, you have a two-game lead. 40-34 is your record in over-under. I am at 38-36. and 36. It is a rivalry week. We also have a bowl game coming up, which means we are in the double Jeopardy round. The double over-under round. Every game is worth double, Alicia. Every single one from here on out. If there's a bowl game, if there's a championship game, if there is a rivalry game, we're doubling it. Here we go. First one. What do you got?
4: First one comes down to the big thing that that, uh, buried USC last year. UCLA rushing yards. I got the over-under at 149.5 rushing yards for UCLA. Now, UCLA averages 158.7 yards per game. Uh, USC's defense averages 167.4 yards per game allowed. A hint, that's bad. Um, UCLA has had six games where they've been above 150 yards. USC has had five games where they've allowed an opponent above 150 yards. So is this a game where USC, we heard from the, from the defensive uh, players and coaches on Wednesday, it's all about stopping the run. It's all about stopping the run. It's all about UCLA, making UCLA one-dimensional. So, will they be successful, or will UCLA be able to put up some big rushing numbers against USC again this year?
2: I'm a little torn on this, because I think all conventional logic says take the over. You look at UCLA's numbers, uh, these are six consecutive games. You mentioned the the 150 yards, Washington State, 150, Arizona, 217, Oregon State, 256, Stanford, 263, ASU, 217, uh, Colorado two hundred, last week at Utah it was fifty, but like negative sixty something was 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 because of DTR running backwards and getting sacked and fumbling and all that kind of stuff. So it's not. I think those numbers are a little over overblown for for Utah a little bit. Also Utah's rush defense is really really good, so I wouldn't overly look at that at the same in in the same token. What are we talking about about Clancy Pendergast? What does he do? He takes away the thing that you do most. That is what he puts all of his eggs in the basket of. I could absolutely see a situation in which SC does the thing that they do against Khalil Tate, right? Oh my God, we're scared about Khalil Tate. We're going to do everything in our will to shut that down and actually shut down UCLA's run and be susceptible to the pass. And because That's exactly how you need to beat UCLA is stop the run and force DTR to beat you because he's unreliable. He can be really good. He can be a, a struggle bust and a half. Make him beat you. Make him have his good game. Do I trust SC to keep them to under that amount that that, that you have written down here? 149.5? No, give him the over.
4: Ooh, ooh, I thought we were about to agree on this one, but I am actually going to go bold and take the under. The only thing that gives me pause about taking the under is that I think that USC will be focused on keeping the UCLA run game under wraps, but DTR could gain gain a few yards scrambling in this game. Uh, non-de- non-design runs ultimately put UCLA over the top in that regard, so that would be the only thing that I'm worried about, but I do think it's going to be the under, not far under, I'm going to guess that UCLA is right there in the 140 range. So it's going to be a little dicey.
2: All right. Uh, let's get to my first over under five and a half. Over under five and a half, USC passing plays of 20-plus yards. UCLA is 120th in the country in allowing them 4.3 per game they allow of pass plays of 20-plus yards. If you want to know what USC's doing, they've been pretty good at this. The last two weeks, Keaton Slovis had six against ASU and seven at Cal. So six and seven, both would would qualify for the over of five and a half. UCLA, easily a worse pass defense. But can SC keep it up and get at least six again? Five and a half is the over under of USC, passing plays of 20-plus yards. Oh, this one's
4: fun because the YOLO rate is... Is is real long live the YOLO raid? Can we and, stop calling it the YOLO raid? Okay, with hold lovers. on. It, I, just bit... I just rewatched. I just re watched that game. There was YOLOing going on. No, there was some YOLO I completely going on.
2: disagree with uh, this. We
4: can call it the controlled YOLO raid, but there was some YOLO.
2: There was not, I'm not buying into this at all. I, were, I think, I think. I think it's a slight Kedon against Keaton Slovis, Slovis to say no, that it Kedon was. No, Keaton Slovis
4: wasn't dropping those balls into the bread basket. He was putting them up, and the receivers were having to adjust to the ball in the air and go up higher than the defender and they get were it. Still or, good
2: decisions.
4: I never said we. I never said Yolo was a bad decision. Sometimes uh, if
2: you, I. I think the Yolo raid is absolutely reckless.
4: Well, I so, think it's that swinging Kedon, from the hip. Keaton was thrown up there like the Yolo, like Yolo.
2: I patentedly disagree here.
4: Well, that's uh, you know, we we can agree to disagree. Either way, uh 5.5 5 is a lot. 5.5 5 is a lot of uh of 20 yard passing plays, but at the same time, UCLA's defense, their passing defense is not good. Oh, uh, it's, it's uh oof. super basura. Oof, 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 oof. But then again, UCLA might be so concerned with the idea of giving up those. Like that. That's the funny thing is I think that Utah and Cal might have gotten in trouble because they trusted their secondaries too much. Where sure. UCLA might not trust their secondary because they don't have a good secondary. So I, maybe they'll go. I don't know. Huh, this one's tough. Six is a lot. Six is a lot.
2: I see, did it against ASU. They did it against Cal.
4: I am going to go with the.
1: I'm
4: going over.
2: Over. All right. I agree. I think it is over as well.
4: It's going to be something. It's going to be either five or six. Like, there's, it's
2: just going to be, like,
4: right there on the dot.
2: I I would tend to agree with that, but I think it'll be six. I think it'll be six. Uh, Let's go to the next one. What do you got?
4: All right. 3.5 turnovers for both teams combined. Now, both teams, USC and UCLA, average two turnovers lost per game. As an aside, that is very bad. Um, UCLA and USC's turnover margins are both the worst in the Pac-12. It's bad. Um, Which kind of goes to the whole iffiness here because neither of these teams are particularly good at creating turnovers. So USC is averaging 1.3 takeaways per game. UCLA is averaging 1.2 takeaways per game. So something's going to give. Four turnovers combined for this team or three or less before both together. So
2: three point five is the over under. Oh, Man. Seems like a lot, doesn't it? I
4: mean, unless like DTR fumbles three times and then USC has one interception and then
2: Yeah. I mean it you know, it could get out of hand. It, is real and it quick. isn't a lot. It is and it is not a lot. Yeah. Then you have the Isaiah Pullum interception followed by the fumble. Two turnovers on the same play last week. I mean, yeah. This is true. Uh, I'm going to hate myself for this, but give me the over.
4: (sighs) I feel like I've stumped myself with this over-under pick. Because I, too think the over is the way to go but at the same time like the stupidest thing does happen and the stupid thing would be like no turnovers in this game because suddenly mm-hmm. both teams decide that they're not here. dumpster fires give me a chance i'm going over
2: you better not play defense the whole way i here. am
4: i am not playing i don't have room to play defense here buddy like that is not what i'm looking for all right i'm just saying
2: just saying uh my next one Over under 0.5 punt returns of 10-plus yards for UCLA, a.k.a. does UCLA have a punt return of 10-plus yards in this game? The Bruins are second nationally in punt return average at 22.5 yards per return. That sounds awesome. It's because the numbers are awesome. It's just a small sample size. They've only returned eight punts all year. It's all Kyle Phillips. Five of those have gone 10-plus. Including a sixty-nine yard touchdown, which is very nice against Washington State, uh, in that crazy, crazy game of the year shootout that they had up on the Palouse. Does Phillips get a return of ten plus yards in this game? Over or under, zero point five punt returns for UCLA of ten plus yards. Hmm. It's a good
4: question because USC hasn't actually given up very many returns at all this season. I've just looked up the numbers. Uh Washington had three returns for twenty six yards combined, but and Stanford had one return for fifteen, but in the last uh month of the season or two. Cal had one for so, nineteen. Cal did have one for nineteen. Oh, hmm. Huh. Well that's a struggle. Um, I'm going to go under just playing the numbers because more often than not, they've not, they haven't given up any returns and you know, uh, Ben Griffiths is starting to get, starting to get a hold of the ball and starting to pin the ball deep. So I'll go under.
2: (sighs) I wanted you to take the over because I'm taking the under. Ah, who's playing defense now? I'm not happy with this. I'm really not. I'm really not. (laughs) Yeah. Well. Yeah.
4: We're gonna. We're maybe. Maybe we'll have some separation on this next one, which is Keaton Slovis's passer rating, the over under of one fifty nine point five. This one's gonna be interesting. UCLA ranks a hundred, a hundred and twenty eighth nationally. Where by giving up a an average of 166.19 passer rating. As an aside again, that is very very bad.
2: But by, by the way, can can I just share some some great trivia about that about that number? Uh-huh. 166.19. Uh 166.19. Do you do you see the the brilliance about that number, Alicia? Um no. The numbers 619 are in there. Who were 619? Oh, uh, good old Reggie. There? Now. I I who see it now. Played, what was the score of the last Reggie Bush game against UCLA? Was it 66 to to
4: 19?
2: Yes. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Oh, snap. Awesome good yeah. numbers. That's what I'm saying. Universe
4: is telling us some stuff right here. I know. It is That's a good pull. That's a really good pull there, Michael. <laughs> uh, I don't think I don't think Keaton Slovis's average uh, is is gonna be quite as fun as in terms of the numbers, the numerology. Keaton Slovis is averaging a passer rating of one sixty two point nine four, which is third in the Pac twelve, uh just barely above Anthony Gordon of Washington State, but still quite good. He's in the upper tier in that regard. So basically, he averages around what UCLA averaged giving up in passer rating. And for, for some context, seven opponents of UCLA this season have had a passer rating above 160. But 160 is a good is, is like a legitimately good passer rating to have in any game. So is Keaton Slovis going to get above that or be held below
2: it? Alicia, how long have we played over-under, do you think? Uh, three years? Eh, maybe four years. Yeah. Something like that. We've never had an over-under line I felt more confident about than this bad boy. You taking taking the over? I am so confident that if I get this wrong... We're going to have a special guest in the CarCast, by the way. Mm-hmm. Our, our friend... Jake Merrifield from the West Bruin Show is going to join us in studio for the CarCast after the game. If I get this wrong, Jake, you bring bacon to the studio and I will eat that bacon. Oh, 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 this just got real. This just got real. Alicia, Keaton Slovis is getting a passer rating above 159.5. It's gonna be over, and it's gonna be the easiest over of my freaking life. Keep the freaking bacon to yourself, Jake.
4: I mean, at this stage, at this stage, I'm I mean, <laughs> I'm going over on this too. <laughs> but at the same time, like I kind of want to go under now, just to just to up the ante here. Um, remember, you stupid can do things that. happen. Go ahead, do it. Do it. Stupid things happen. Like. The football is stupid. USC and UCLA are both stupid. So stupid things happen. Like I think Keaton Slovis could easily end up with 150 or so, or something like that. 140 something. Over, easy. Hmm. Over with a bacon bet.
2: Y- y- over you with s- bacon You taking bet. the over too? Canceling me out?
4: Uh, no. You know what? I'm gonna give this to you. You're putting a lot on the line. I'll go under.
2: I'll go under. All right. All right. All right, I'm liking it. I'm liking it. Now, will you put cod liver oil on on the line for this? Oh hell no, <laughs> hell no. Uh. Uh-uh. All right.
4: If, <laughs> if, all right. If, if if uh if I lose, I'll eat the bacon that uh, that Jake brings <laughs> to the house.
2: That, that's fair. Uh, my my last over under is a line that is absolutely ridiculous in in writing this, um, but there's reason for it. Uh, It's over under 12.5 catches for Michael Pittman. (laughs) 12.5. This is outrageous. Uh, Pittman has 82 catches for the season. That's 10th on USC's single-season list, pass catcher's list. So for context here, Mike Williams' 2003 season, one of the best in USC history for a wide receiver, is 5th all-time with 95 catches. Does Michael Pittman catch him? To do it, he needs 13. So the line's 12.5. Now, you're thinking, that's insane, right? Michael Pittman had 13 catches at ASU two weeks ago. He had 11 at Cal last week. You can make the argument he might get to 13 if that game's closer in the fourth quarter and Keaton Slovis needs to throw to him. Uh, you can, you can make the argument there. What say you? To over or under 12.5 catches for Michael Pittman Jr.? That's a lot of catches. Like, I want him
4: to have 13, 14, 15 catches in this game, but that is a lot of catches. You have to remember, USC has Amonara St. Brown. USC has Tyler Vaughns, USC has Drake London. Like, we said from the start of the season that it would be hard to pick who would be USC's leading wide receiver because every week it was going to change who defense has paid attention to. Well, at UCLA, if I'm UCLA, I put a blanket over Michael Pittman and I do not let Michael Pittman beat me. So I think that Michael Pittman could have a big game and still not get up to 13 catches. I'm going under on this, although I would be very, very happy to be wrong. Not, I mean, extremely happy to be wrong about this one.
2: So, I am a bold person. I'm not a dumbass. I'm not going to take the over here. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm tempted. I'm so freaking tempted. If I'm so said tempted. It,
4: if you set it at 9.5, would you I'd take, take the i take the over? over
2: in a heartbeat. Yeah. i yeah. take the over. i take that gamble. But not 12 and a half. And I, I just want to see wh- how many catches he can rack up. That's why I set the line so high. But... I'm tempted. If, I'm tempted. If
4: this was Lane Kiffin, then I would book it that he'd have 13 catches because no, he's trying I'll, to win I'll give, the Bulletnikov.
2: Sure. I'll give you the argument. The argument could be, well, Tyler Vaughn's isn't going to be 100% yet. We, That's we, fair. We can't expect him to be 100%. It very easily could be a situation. And UCLA's pass defense is atrocious, right? Very easily... You could you could draw up a scenario where SC throws the ball 45 times and Michael Pittman catches 13 of those passes that doesn't sound obscene it is obscene though but not totally out of the ordinary for for the situation so you can make the argument I'm just not going to hold my breath I I'll take the under I think he gets like 11 again probably It'll be my guess
4: my guess would be somewhere around eight. Okay. All right. Uh,
2: let's go to the last one. Uh, this comes from our pal Dave in Orange County. He sent it to us on Slack. Over under 29.5 carries for Joshua Kelly, UCLA's running back. He ran for 289 yards, the most in the USC-UCLA rivalry last year in the Bruins' big win at the Rose Bowl. He's only gotten over that once all season. He had 34 carries against ASU. He averaged 24.3 carries per game in October and only 21 per game so far in November does he get to 30 the lines at 29 and a half
4: See here's the thing is that last year I think that Chip Kelly caught USC off guard by being willing to just say you know Josh Kelly is going to carry the load here and he's going to you know run the ball 50,000 times I don't know that USC is going to give them that opportunity again uh this year I don't think that UCLA is going to be in a position in this game to be able to just say, fine, we're just going to run it and run it and run it and run it and run it. If they are, then fire Kalency Pendergast at halftime um, because you have no excuse at this point for for allowing that to happen. So I got to go under on this just because I don't think that uh, that Josh Kelly will be ridden the same way that he was last year.
2: Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. If the line was 24 and a half, I'd be tempted to take the over. 29 is just a, a bridge too far. Can't do it. Cannot do it for me. Give me the under. Um, the, the other thing is, he got the, the the over for that against ASU at 34. That was the game they led 42 to 10. Like There was a reason why you could just give it to Josh Kelly over and over and over again can't necessarily probably do that in this game because if this game goes UCLA's way it's a shootout right
4: unless and, unless
2: like, i can't see i can't see UCLA winning this game comfortably
4: well the 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 alternative reality there is the possibility that chip kelly decides to take a page out of some of the other teams that USC has faced out of their book and try to play ball control which would involve just you know giving josh kelly carries just to try and run clock even if they're not up but again i don't i don't know if that's a chip kelly thing that you can rely on necessarily so i don't know
2: yeah i don't don't know indeed but i will take the under along with you uh so really we agree on everything except for two biggies alicia two biggies uh so if you're keeping track at home uh, over, or under, UCLA rushing yards, 149.5. You say under, I say over. And then the big one. passer rating for Keaton Slovis of 159.5. You say under, I say over. Guaranteeing that I will eat bacon if I don't get that one right. So, lock it up. Uh, game predictions. Bill Connolly has USC by 17.5. A, a score of 39.7 to 22.1. With an eighty-five percent win probability for the Trojans, Vegas has USC by fourteen points. Alicia, who you got?
4: I, (laughs) I don't. Can I just skip this
2: prediction? Like, do we have to? You you're you're picking UCLA, aren't you? No, you're gonna make make Keeley really happy.
4: (laughs) I'm I'm picking USC in this. Honestly, I'm picking USC, and I don't. It's just because on paper, that's the way you have to go. Like, USC is going to be able to put up points on this UCLA defense, at least you think they will. So I'm going USC, but I'm not doing so with any confidence because what I think will happen in football games doesn't happen in football games very often. Like, so take that. Like, I'm very self-aware at how bad I am at picking these kinds of things. So I'm going USC 39, UCLA 29, and I I don't know. I don't even know. <laughs> uh,
2: I, I will agree with you. I think SC is going to score a lot of points in this game uh, because UCLA's defense is no bueno. I also think UCLA will score in that range that we know and love with this USC defense under Clancy Pendergast, which is between 20 and 31 points. Which means SC wins forty eight to twenty eight twenty point win.
4: Yep. I mean I would not be surprised at this point if this game was like something stupid, like thirteen
2: to twelve. By the way, you know the last time USC scored thirty nine points in a game? Uh no, I do not. It's a game neither you or I were at were at. That would Washington be... State last year.
4: Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hmm yep.
2: Alright, take a quick break and then we'll come back with a huge mailbag we got. Huge. This is why this is going to be like a three hour episode. Yeah. (laughs) You've got mail. Alright, Alicia, let's get into the mailbag. Uh, If you're wondering, by the way, why we didn't have any rants, because when SC wins games, you know, soundly, 41-17 to 17 over a team like Cal, people don't call in to rant. We got three rant line calls, three, uh, from our friends Trenice, Fred, and Dave from Orange County. So, shout out to you guys. We didn't make a montage out of it, but there were awesome calls, and you guys are always forever our favorites. But we got other voicemails, so let's start with a voicemail we got from Samuel in South Carolina.
3: Hey, Raina Troy, what is up? It's Samuel from South Carolina. Um, it's been a day or two now since USC won. Honestly, I was so dead after watching the game that I couldn't call in that night. But I'm calling now. Uh, first off, I wanted to say it was really refreshing to see a complete four quarters. Um, Stephen Carr, it was nice to see him back in the rotation again. Also great to see Michael Pittman. He absolutely went off in that game. Uh, it's now over a 1,000 yards in the season, well over, I believe. Um, it was absolutely incredible to watch. Uh, I did have a quick question here. Uh What does this winning mean for USC exactly, for Clay Helton's job? We're now 7-4 and four on the season, and if they win at UCLA, he's 8-4. and four. This was the first game that Mike Bone was able to see um, in person, and I'm worried that that may negatively impact his opinion on USC in that he decides to keep Clay Helton. I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Also, Michael, I absolutely love you. You're the reason I started listening to the show, so... Don't listen to all the naysayers. All right. fight on until next week. Bye.
4: Thank you, Samuel, for the call. Thank you in particular for putting Michael in his place as far as why people do or do not listen to the show.
2: I don't know. I think it's a little pandering, to be honest with you. Everyone hates me. I get it. People listen for you. They love your voice. They love your personality. Everyone is infatuated with you. Nobody likes me. And I, and I, I get it. I, I know that... The, <sighs> That Samuel's being being nice. I, I I appreciate it. I definitely do. But people still hate me. I get it. Well,
4: I appreciate Samuel and his truthfulness. Uh, as, for the, as for his question, um, yeah, I think that uh, I will keep saying this and people will not keep wanting to hear it. I know this. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is that USC has given Clay Helton the opportunity to win his job back and... Every game that he wins, every game that he wins impressively, uh, as the Cal game was an impressive win for USC, no matter how you uh, look at it, Um, it's it's further reason to give USC's decision makers the opportunity to say uh, he's, you know, maybe earned another go. And we have to keep going back to USC, you know, Pete Thamel writes this article for Yahoo Sports on Wednesday where he again cites the $20 million buyout. Situation. And if, when you're talking about a $20 million buyout, when you're talking about the buyouts that you'd have to pay for other coaches if you're going to bring them in, the salaries for another coach, all of that kind of stuff, the money uh, is certainly something that USC will have to take into account. And if you're Mike Bone, I know that you come in and you want to get a fresh start with your own guy in there. But if that involves a $20 million buyout and you're looking at a head coach that is has won APAC 12, won the Rose Bowl, and is in position to win the Pac-12 South despite having uh three quarterback injuries and four uh, three running back injuries and a revolving door of injuries in on defense and uh true freshmen all over the place and this that and the other thing and you see him winning games against Cal and maybe you see him trouncing UCLA and going 8 and 4 that is improvement i know that i'm like again i feel like i have to preface all of this with i am not defending clay helton i'm not advocating for clay helton to keep his job i would certainly move on i've said this for a couple years now i'm i I think we've seen what clay helton can and can't do and usc should find a head coach that is competing for national titles but if you're mike bone and you're on the outside looking in (laughs) mike bone uh i still can't do it um (laughs) if if you're compete if you're on the outside looking in and you haven't sat through the last three years of of USC feeling like they're underachieving, even when they're not going five and seven, um, then you could. You, you, I don't know. I think you could be talked into. Well, is it really worth twenty million dollars to get rid of a coach who's been as uh, whose resume is as objectively solid as as Clay, as Clay Helton is? Uh, I don't know. I don't know.
2: Alicia I, I've I've told you I I get the point that you're making I I think that it's well reasoned but I, I just I can't buy in I, I just I think that if 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 Clay Helton comes back without having you know gone to the Pac-12 championship game like then a major fail happened either the boosters uh, t- couldn't you know pull the money together? Uh, either something something happened, like it would be a major fail, because again, you do not bring in Mike Bone to sit on his hands. You don't. You just don't. You don't. And this this team needs change. the The only way it, it you can postpone change is if they back their way into the Pac twelve Championship game and and win it and go to the Rose Bowl.
4: See, here's my, this is something I've been seeing in a lot of different places. And again, I hate having, to, I hate making this argument. So, like, people take this for what it's worth. I'm mostly just playing devil's advocate. But, like, the idea that, like, you don't bring in Mike Bone to not make a football hire. Did you bring in Mike Mike Bone because of the football program? Like, I don't think that Lynn Swan lost his job because of the football program. I think Lin Swan lost his job because he was disengaged and he had the uh, Varsity Blues scandal under his uh under his uh nose and um you know he he was not qualified and and uh did not do the things that he needed to do as an athletic director the f- f- the football side of it i don't think that that was the overriding reason that usc has another athletic director right now i think it might have been i think it certainly plays a part but like i don't think it's the end all and be all because if it was then you get rid of, you fire Clay Hilton after the Notre Dame loss. And you live with an interim and you bring in an AD with the explicit, like, it's okay, it's already done. You bring in your new head coach.
2: If it had nothing to do with football, they would have taken more time to hire an athletic Well, I'm not coach.
4: saying it wouldn't, it has nothing to do with it. I'm just saying that I don't think Lynn Swan's resignation or, you know, ouster was only about football.
2: No, I I agree, but I just again you you don't bring out a a new guy doesn't come in to to sit on his hands. Maybe that's the way I need to phrase it. Instead of they didn't bring him in to to sit on. Either way, I, I if if Clay Elton comes back without another Rose Bowl, again something went way way wrong. Uh, by the way, I, let's can we just call Samuel my my um. My my favorite Rotbot, now that I think about it. That was really nice, what he said. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Well, I've just had more time to think about it. Well, those are good. Good. It's the number one Rotbot. Favorite Rotbot. Change your name in Slack. Make it Favorite Rotbot. There you go. Uh, Let's go to our voicemail we got from Bob in Orange County.
0: Hey, guys. It's uh, Bob from Orange County. As uh, Alicia mentioned, you know, the so-called conspiracy theory. Uh, I think it's real, not a conspiracy theory. It's, um, I mean, if they come out and go eight and four, how do you fire an eight and four coach? Um, you know, that's been to the Rose, went to the Rose Bowl, been to the Cotton Bowl, and went five and seven, made changes, and now he's eight and four, and God, this is great. I know it, it's affected uh, the recruiting side of things drastically, and uh, that the, the whole Ron Yeris kid situation is not good at all I don't think going 8-4 solves that problem which is which is a bigger problem a greater problem so anyways I guess we'll see what happens and uh I don't know how this all plays out and how they let let that coach go other than the fact that you know back you know in the 70s 80s 60s 70s 80s if a a football FC football coach didn't beat Notre Dame and UCLA. It was a real problem. And, uh, that's kind of where we're at. And so, it'll be inter- interesting to see how this all plays out and, and, uh, just wanted to share my thoughts with you guys. Love your show. Fight on, beat the Bruins. And, uh, I don't know if you're going to be doing a pre-game meetup on campus or, or, or what, but would love to meet up with you guys. Okay, fight on, beat the Bruins. Later, bye.
4: Thanks for the call, Bob. Um, <laughs> yeah, the conspiracy theory—I just finished spouting it off. So uh, I, you know, I, you know, I agree with you. And and really, you know, Bob's the the question that he posed there is how do you fire an eight and four head coach? You fire him by being bold. You fire him by being bold and by understanding that he's already lost the fan base, and you need to just move on. And you need to have a clean slate across the board in the athletic department, and football is part of that. That's how you fire him, but boldness is not necessarily something that you can count on when it comes to administrators. It's not something you can count on when it comes to people who are um, making administrative decisions that involve buyouts, that involve uh, employment of multiple people, that involve um, you know the wishes of the football team or the wishes the wishes of whoever. Uh, all of those kinds of things come into play. So it will take if let's say let's just you know operate under the assumption that Clay Helton beats. UCLA, because if he doesn't beat UCLA, we're having it's a totally different conversation. But let's say he does beat UCLA and the Pac 12 South is on the line. and, And regardless of what Utah does, I think that it would take a bold decision to go out there and say, This is not good enough for USC. Eight and four is not good enough for USC, which I think we can all agree is true. Eight and four is not good enough. Eight and four when you're getting blown out by Oregon, eight and four when you're not. Competing on a national stage, these things you know it is not good enough. Uh, regardless of the injury excuses, regardless of the new system on offense, regardless of anything you want to come up with, it's not good enough. Um, and and that would be the thing uh, that I would hope that you know Mike bone and Carol Folt understand. I just can't guarantee that they understand that because they are administrators. And I, you know, you, you know how administrators think most of the time they're not willing to put their neck on the line. The interesting thing here is that I think Mike Bone would be putting his neck on the line by keeping Clay Helton. Um, I just don't know if he knows that yet. Does he had time to realize that that's what he'd be doing by keeping
2: Clay Helton? I don't know. Oh, I think he knows. If he's reading
4: I, I, he, his Twitter, he's got to know.
2: He knows. <laughs> he, he is. He's fully aware. I. I. I am certain of it. Um, by the way, Bob, we're not going to have a pregame meetup because it's an early game. Uh, so that's an unfortunate thing. We'd, we'd love to, we'd love to see, uh, we'd, we'd love to have another meetup at some point. Uh, we should probably do one pre-bowl. Even if it's in LA, we'll do something. We'll, we'll figure something out. We try to do, we were thinking of doing a meetup on Friday this week, but that kind of fell through. Um, so we'll have to think of something, but... Yeah, I, I again Alicia, I, I I get it. I get the logic. I just if if Clay Elton comes back without another Rose Bowl, there's something went wrong. Just something. Well, something I, I agree. Went wrong.
4: But just like can we all acknowledge that like something has gone wrong for USC a lot recently? So like the something going wrong thing is not excluding it as a possibility, just because we all agree that it would be a bad thing. I I guess I yeah. guess
2: mm. Mm.
4: just I'm just saying, I think something went wrong the day that USC decided that Clay Hilton was the guy they were going to hire as the full-time ath- uh, full-time oh, head coach, sure. and something yeah. went wrong the day that USC decided they were going to hire Lynn Swan as the athletic director. So, yep, you know, things have gone wrong before. All right, things that aren't going to go wrong. Hopefully, my reading of the next email in the mailbag The longest
2: email in the history of Random Troy Radio. Which is the email for Over 1,100 words. It's great.
4: Kevin in Philly wrote us a uh, dissertation, and I love it. So here we go. Dear Alicia and Michael, thank you for the wonderful podcast you put out every week. I really appreciate your ability to analyze and vent frustrations, and I appreciate your engagement with other USC Trojan supporters on the Twitters. One thing that really sold me on y'all was the way in which you responded to haters' reviews in the beginning of last off season. To paraphrase there was a lot of quote, maybe you're looking for the wrong show. Love it. Haters gonna hate, etc. Also, Michael, it's statistically impossible that all your food takes are wrong, but you seem really pressed about those chicken stars. Alicia, how do you not know Mike Jones? Okay, okay, now that I've sufficiently antagonized you both. I think one thing that gets routinely overlooked in discussions of Urban Meyer is what happened at Florida over his time there. They got two national championships, but also had an incredible amount of arrests. The culture was toxic. Granted, that was a long time ago. I think he did a great job at Ohio State, notwithstanding sheltering a domestic abuser and keeping the ineffective Shiano around, kind of like how Bob Stoops struggled to get rid of Mike. He has the problem with being loyal to the wrong people that a lot of coaches do, ergo, Zach Smith and Greg Ciano. but at least when he bottomed out at ASU uh, at OSU that equated to 11 and two instead of five and seven and he's not Art Briles or Joe Pa I hope he keeps Harold if he gets hired like he kept Charlie strong after he took over for Ron Zook I kind of feel like we the fan base just based on the calls and emails y'all answer on the air and what I hear from the peristyle are all in on Meyer and the only other person I hear in the media is James Franklin Barring Meyer, Franklin, Del Rio, or Fisher, and I really don't want either of those NFL retreads, but I'd much prefer Del Rio to Fisher, who else are y'all interested in? Do you think Brian Harson would be any good? You mentioned Matt Campbell and Matt Rule. Do you think it matters if someone has connections to the area, or do you think it's overblown? It seems like everyone but Hilton could coach the level of existing talent to more than six wins. I mean, Meyer turned a 6-6 six and six Buckeye team into a 12-0 Buckeye team, so he's certainly capable, And I think even Del Rio could have us competitive again against the organs of the world. I can't stand how often we win close but look so uncompetitive in losses. I think Steve Sarkisian isn't ready to coach at USC again. I'd rather he didn't ever. Let him go get a G5 job first and prove himself there. Plus, having watched him coach the Atlanta and, and Alabama, I know he's prone to play calling gaffes like forgetting his running backs exist. Pat Fitzgerald doesn't need to be recruited to this job either. His team is 2-8, and eight, and their overall S&P Plus, as of October 29th, ESPN doesn't have a new article for some reason, dragged to 76th uh, because even though their defense was number 13, their offense was number 126th, currently number 84 in FPI and 98 in efficiencies. Comparatively, USC is 22-20. and 20. Plus, he puts even Helton to shame for the dumb stuff he says in press conferences, ergo People aren't coming to the games because of smartphones and social media culture, you know, because fans at OSU and LSU uh, don't have phones, or claiming that media members at practice have asked if he's sure they aren't undefeated. And like Hilton with Pendergast and Antonio with his staff in general, Fitzgerald refuses to move on from inefficient coordinators. OC Mike McCall has been there since 2008. What's your dream USC coaching staff? I really wish we weren't dealing with Hilton right now. I was actually content with him getting the job in 2015, but he doesn't hold this team accountable, and that's evident in the repeated mistakes, the laissez-faire attitude. As far as I'm concerned, every game this year ought to have been in preparation for and building toward playing Alabama next year. We're going to finish 7-5 and five or 8-4, and four, and there's no reason we couldn't have won 9 or 10 games this season. And until the victory bell is battled for, Cal is going to look like a complete anomaly to me. Would we have beat them so badly if Garbers hadn't gotten hurt? Moreover, I'm a bit worried they'll keep Hilton around if he goes 9-4. I can't root against my team, but this guy is not a national championship level coach. In the event we replace him, we'll have a brand new head coach going into a game against the most accomplished head coach and one of, if not the most talented rosters in college football. It's hard to believe we'll be particularly competitive in game one with a brand new coach and presumably a couple new starters at receiver. Unrelatedly, Do y'all ever bristle at the lack of uh, the relative lack of diversity at the USC quarterback position? We haven't had anyone of color since Mark Sanchez. Other schools in the Pac-12 and the Mountain West take black and brown QBs from Southern California and the rest of our recruiting footprint. And it bothers me that ours are mostly white dudes from Orange County. Our last African-American QBs were Jesse Scroggins in 2010 who transferred to Arizona and Rocky Hines in 2014 who transferred to UNLV. It would make more sense to me if they were exclusively blue chips from L.A., but Slovis is a three-star from Arizona. I don't follow recruiting terribly well. Uh, Were we ever in on Tua? I know he considered transferring to USC when he thought he wasn't going to have a shot to start. And there's the modern-day product, Bryce Young, if he decides he doesn't want to go to Bama. I doubt it. I'm just curious. I'm very happy with what Slovis has done this year, and I'm very interested to see the battle between him and JT next year. I just wonder selfishly about representation and more generally about athletic limitations. Before JT's freshman year, I remember reading an article about him in some publication, and they mentioned how between his sophomore and junior year, he lost weight and ended up ripping off a 70-yard rushing touchdown in 11th grade. I feel like we haven't seen that kind of speed, and now he's coming off a knee injury. I just don't think it ever hurts to have a dual-threat quarterback, whatever he looks like. BYU beat us with one without him even rushing for 20 yards, just with his ability to extend plays. Though, again, Slovis certainly has shown he has the capacity for that. Anyways, thanks for reading. Fight on. Go Trojans. Kevin in Philly.
2: Best email we've ever gotten? That's
4: a great email. Like, genuinely, I I, I was going to... It was. It was, I, was awesome. I was thinking about stopping and chopping it up so that we could sort of address it, but I kind of like the flow of it. It kind of had like a... a a really good rhythm to it, so I, I didn't want to stop it. So let's let's just sort of like I'm I'm gonna start sort of going back and and hitting some of these points. Go 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 back to uh like for instance, was USC ever in on Tua? They were yeah. they were the favorite for Tua. SC,
2: yeah, USC was the favorite for for Tua. I thought for sure Tua Tangovelo was coming to USC.
4: Yeah, and uh, apparently Tua was really big on the idea of going to USC, but. USC uh, wasn't in a as good of a place as Alabama, and Alabama, obviously, things have worked out for him there. And, and it's another situation with Bryce Young. Like, USC had Bryce Young as a commitment, and the circumstances around him going to Bama as opposed to USC have less to do with uh, the color of his skin and more to do with the state of USC's program as a whole. Um, I'd also like to point out that Jalen Green uh, was a uh, a quarterback of color that USC brought in, but he was also one of those guys that, moved to receiver and then transferred and all that kind of stuff. So I think that, 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 uh, Kevin is right to point out that USC's the history of, of USC quarterbacks recently has been very much the prototypical, like OC guy. Um, but I think that,
2: uh, circumstances, I, I that circumstance. Yeah. Part of the yeah. circumstance. I think that SC tends to get the, the highest rated quarterbacks, uh, in Southern California, those tend to be the guys that are at the private schools. The ones who uh, have been tend, brought up those... in,
4: in, with the passing coach the whole time. and you know,
2: Right. And so those end up being quarterbacks that end up looking like Matt Leiner and, and Matt Barkley, right? And so I, I think part of that is just circumstance. At the same point, I think you can look at it and be like, well, there's been c- quarterbacks in L.A. that SC have not gotten, like uh, Troy Williams, right? Yeah, Troy Williams goes to Narbonne and then goes on to Washington. Sark gets him to go to Washington and then he goes to Utah. He's someone in the LA city who was very good at quarterback. Well, USC they, passed, they, on passed
4: on Khalil Tate.
2: The pass on Khalil Tate. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's not like there hasn't been opportunities to, to, to have more diversity. There absolutely has been. Uh, and yeah, and I think that SC is justified for passing on Khalil Tate when they had Sam Darnold, yeah. but still there was an opportunity there, 100%. Um, and at the, the same point, I, I think that you look forward, Drake Gar- Jake Garcia is, is committed. So, you know, SC loses out on on Bryce Young, but there's Jake Garcia. He's he's not a white guy. So, like, that's, that's some positivity uh, going forward, but it is interesting that, you know... The best quarterback in USC history was Rodney Pete for for yeah. you know a solid fifteen years, uh, and it is unbelievable that SC has not had a black starting quarterback in forever. I mean Reggie Perry made a start in like ninety four or something, but like it, it's it's been a long like it's, time. It's almost it's like, really what time. Yeah. like what are the odds
4: at that stage? Like what what are the odds that you that when after you've had rodney pete be as successful as he was uh right. that that in the following years you just like it just so happens that you haven't had uh that kind of success but like i said like and I it's I think not it's just more, rodney
2: pete either jim jones yeah uh jimmy jones willie wood
4: yeah i mean yeah usc had a, a, a run there where they were you know we talk about the uh the 1970 alabama game and all that kind of stuff so Um, Again, I I think that circumstances have uh, been—it's been more coincidence, I think, than anything. Um, But it's certainly an interesting sort of thing to examine, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a history there. And you look at USC has so much history in terms of diversity with, you know, the very first All-American in in school history was a a black guy with with one hand. Like— in 1925, in Bryce Taylor, which at the time seems crazy given given the you know the the landscape of what you know culture was like at the time, right? And which was which is a great part of USC football history. And then the diversity that that USC has had with with the Polynesian community and all that stuff. It'd be great to continue to to be a trendsetter. Uh, for diversity and and have that at a flagship position like USC's quarterback, uh, it would be fantastic. It, it's just a matter of finding that guy and allowing that that guy to have an opportunity and and take off with it. And I yeah, I really thought it was going to be Bryce Young, but maybe it's Jake Garcia. Who knows?
4: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. Um, what the future holds as far as <laughs> continuing to hit some of the the major points in in Kevin's email. Um, he talks about how if, you know, keeping Hilton, if he's nine and four, I totally agree with the the idea that he's not a national championship level head coach. So why even bother? Um, I I don't think there's a a question in there, but I did want to hit that as a, yeah, I agree. Why even bother? Um, would USC have beaten Cal so badly if Chase Garbers hadn't gotten hurt? I think they probably still would have beaten them pretty soundly, but maybe Cal gets over that 19 point over under. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't know that Chase Garbers mattered. I think Chase Garbers is definitely better than, than Devin Monster, but nobody on Cal's offense looked looked capable. Uh, how many drops did Garbers have to, to struggle with? Like three? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know that it would have mattered what, what, what Chase Garbers did.
4: Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, another question. What's your dream USC coaching staff?
2: Oh, this is easy. Uh, Dream USC coaching staff is uh head coach Bob Stoops, offensive line coach Bill Bedenbaugh, uh offensive coordinator, let's just go with uh Graham Harrell for continuity's sake. Uh defensive coordinator, let's say uh uh Aranda, Dave Aranda, and then just fill in the, the blanks from there.
4: Yeah, for for me it's um I think I go with uh yeah, let's go Bob <laughs> let's go Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops is the safe one. Actually, no, that's not true. Uh Urban Meyer. Uh Urban Meyer with uh David Yoast as the offensive coordinator. Yoast! My, my 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 boy Yoast. Um let's go Jack Del Rio as the defensive coordinator.
2: Just oh, for God. funsies. But uh, you, Alicia, are cr- you are you were between between this take. And you saying that Clay is coming back, you are just losing I am not, followers left tonight. I am not saying You're, Clay is coming hey, back. Hey, keep, please keep doing this, though. It's going to boost my profile, <sighs> and we're going to get more calls like Samuel calling in and saying that I'm the best part of the podcast.
4: All right, you are correct that it's Dave Aranda, but still, I think it would be fun. Just just fun narrative things. Fun, fun narrative things. Um, that would be my dream. Uh, but he does bring up, you know, people uh, some of the names he throws out here in this email. Pat Fitzgerald's... Um, not I'm not interested in Steve Sarkeesian. I'm certainly not interested in. Um, I'm not interested in, in James Franklin either. To be to be frank, um, I think James Franklin is another guy that I think I've seen what what his ceiling is, and his ceiling is not a national title. So uh, I think he would be a, certainly an upgrade for USC. But I think that ultimately your end game is the same. The ones who really intrigue me are Matt Campbell and Matt Rule. Um, he brings up Brian Harson, but I think Brian Harson maybe is uh a backup hire like if you strike out on your you should strike out on three names at least before you get to brian harson and then i'll understand it um but for me matt campbell and matt rule what matt campbell's doing at iowa state with inferior athletes being as competitive as they are uh has been very very impressive and matt rule's track record matt rule looks like urban meyer before urban meyer was urban meyer so
2: does does it bother you that Matt Rule just just blew a twenty eight to three lead to Oklahoma?
4: No, it because, doesn't really
2: bother me. From, I'll, I'll tell you that.
4: Well, see, the thing is, is that like coaches, coaching is hard, and winning games is hard, and Oklahoma should have been up by that much against Baylor in that game, anyways. So, like, I get that that's a, a black mark, but also, I'm not judging a coach based on one game, you know?
2: Right. Yeah, I, I do not like the idea that a team loses or wins or whatever, and they're like, well, take him off the list. Like, one game does not make a breaker coach. It's a track record. It's a track record that does. I mean, you, you can see it with, with, with Clay, right? Like, the reason that people want Clay fired isn't because he lost the Oregon game, it's because he lost the Alabama game big, and then the Notre Dame game, and then the Cal game last year, and then ASU last year, and then UCLA. Like, all these games add up, and that's the situation USC is in. Because, yeah, if this season, ha- if if the 2019 season happened last year, people aren't fire, people aren't clamoring for Clay's firing quite as much as they are. It's now.
4: not the foregone conclusion that everyone thinks yeah. it is. That's for sure.
2: Yes. No. I, I, there absolutely would be people calling for for Clay's head. Well, yeah. Uh, because there was that at the end of the the 2017 season, anyways. But it would not be nearly the same fervor. And those excuses that USC has would have more more weight behind them. Uh, Let's go to an email we got from Lamont in Atlanta who says, uh, Michael Alisi, it was great being able to finally match faces to the voices I've heard so much. Lamont was at our meetup in Phoenix a couple weeks ago and it was super cool to meet him. Super cool. Uh, He says, thanks for giving my daughter a glimpse of how True Trojan fans interact for the love of the school. You'll be happy to know my daughter, Brooke, won her game on Saturday, hit a game-winning goal on Sunday, and we arrived at Sundayville Stadium at the start of the second quarter. Little did we know the first quarter would be the best quarter for Trojan fans. My highlight Saturday was getting a chance to speak with Michael Pittman's dad and tell him how awesome I think his kid is and has been for the Trojan program. I just wish the USC administration would have done what was right for him and put a coaching staff together that did not waste his senior gear. I do have a question maybe you could shed some light on. Being at the game, I noticed that on many occasions when the offense came off the field, the receivers would sit around the 30-40 yard line, and the offense would sit on the other 30-40 yard line. The running backs would be in different spots also. I rarely saw coaches interacting with Keaton Slovis, except when he maybe came out of the game for cramps. Nor did I see him use a phone or a headset to communicate with Graham Harrell. This was my first time seeing the sideline interactions, so my question is have you guys noticed this? When you score 28 points in the first quarter and three for the rest of the game, you would think that the offense would get together and discuss what's working, what's not, and how to clean up the lack of execution. Can you shed some light on this for me, please? Once again, it was great meeting you, Keeley, the THT guys, and all the Trojan fans at the meetup. Sorry for the lengthy email. Fight on Lamont from ATL, and he's Shared a picture with us with him and his daughter, and it was awesome.
4: Yeah, and congratulations to Brooke. Uh, we were rooting for her to have a, a good uh, soccer tournament that weekend, and also rooting for uh, Lamont to be able to get to the game. I had a conversation with him about, like, how viable is it for me to be driving and trying to get to the game? I'm like, I don't know what the traffic is like, but you know, maybe he was the bad luck charm. Maybe he turned <laughs> up at the stadium, and all of a sudden, USC was like, don't oh, Lamont is it. Let's uh let's just like shut down this offense, <laughs> um. But uh, yeah, it was it was uh, you know hopefully hopefully he had a, a good time aside from the fact that USC decided to just sort of like not do anything anymore. Um. But as for the the question he has about the sideline, so um that's standard for USC. USC has like each position group sort of goes back to their little area and then they get talked to by coaches like. The offensive line sits in their little circle, and the uh, offensive line coach Tim Drevno comes and sits in the middle of the chair. Same with the defensive line on the other side of this of the uh, of the bench. Um, the usually I see the DBs in the middle, uh, in the, sort of the middle bench, and the yeah the running backs and the wide receivers all go to sort of their little pocket, and the position coaches on the field go and talk to each of them. The offense does huddle up before each possession. All of the members of the offense huddle up before its possession. Um, so they do do like a group meeting. But I think when they come off the field like that, the concern is more with position groups and position coaches talking to their players specifically. Like I'm not sure who would address the entirety of the offense together uh, if you wanted to have them all sort of like discussing what's going on um, on the sideline like that. So I don't think what USC does in that regard is, is abnormal. Um, but, uh, I've only really been able to observe USC in that. So maybe, uh, I don't know. Someone might have a better answer about that. Who've been watching more, uh, opposing teams, I guess.
2: Yeah. I always find sideline dynamics really interesting. Uh, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how it all works. Like, you know, people get, you know, really upset about John Baxter having only 10 guys on, on the, uh, the the kickoff team or, or the the any of the special teams, and I'm always thinking I think it's amazing that teams have eleven guys for as many plays as they do. <laughs> just the logistics of getting the right teams out there and having everyone being in sync and all that stuff just seems it seems like an endeavor to me. And maybe that's just my lack and lack of faith in humanity. But I just there seems like there's so many things going on that it, it's surprising to me that, that things go as smoothly as they do more often than not. And, and not just for SC, but for every team.
4: See, this is the disadvantage of, like, not having played the game at the at that level, because those kinds of, like, details are the kind of thing that, like, I would like to learn. But at the same time, we get limited access to the players, and we get limited access to the coaches. So, like, you can't ask those kinds of really, really detailed, stupid questions that like you know i'm i i just the i'm just curious like why do you guys organize your sideline the way that you organize it like i would love to have that answer but that's not the kind of question that you can really ask in a scrum and get a, a an answer that you want because a it's hard enough to get a question in when you want a question and b right. um coaches that's an
2: off season question really
4: yeah that's like a random like if you have a coach in a one on one like just before i let you go like explain this little random thing to me like
2: but, you know it would be great? If we got... This should be an, an off-season episode. We see if we can get in contact with the coach uh, and just talk... Pepper them with all the insignificant, things. random, so, like... So why is it for warm-ups? Do you have the team line up on the 20, the 25, and the 30 in three lines? Like, yeah. why do you do that?
4: Yeah, like, to, to explain the minutia of your process, like... I don't know if any, any coach wants to actually explain that to us, but I'd love to know. What we need is a sports how it works. Like, you know the TV show How It Works, How, how It's Made? Sure.
2: I, or, or Wendover Productions, just do USC football, yeah.
4: Like, I, I love How It's Made because I love, like, seeing, like, okay, this is the weird little things that go into making the little things in my life that I have no idea how they actually make these things. Like, I want to do, like, a How It's Made with, like, football, like, the the questions that are so irrelevant that no one ever right. asks them and no one ever has the answer because that's just the way it's done. But like it, low key, I kind of want to know.
2: Yeah. Isn't it great when you learn something like I, I was talking to my girlfriend the other day and she we found out that sugar, uh you have to grind it to make powdered sugar. <laughs> like who would have ever thought about that?
4: You mean like to get the different consistencies or like the different forms yeah, of you sugar? Gotta,
2: you got to grind it all down. Like rock sugar and and powdered sugar? You put it in a grinder and that's how you make powdered sugar.
4: So like, can you make your own powdered sugar?
2: Apparently, you just put it in a grinder. Wait,
4: but can you really like just get like the, the, the sugar sugar, like the sugar you put in like coffee or tea sugar and stick it in like a coffee grinder and you get powdered sugar?
2: Apparently, that's what I learned. Yeah,
4: that's my mind is actually legit blown right now. That's what I'm saying. Can I try to do this? Go ahead, do it. I feel like I'm gonna like screw up my like coffee grinder or something like that. Do
2: it and and let us know how it goes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Take a quick break though, and we'll come right back and answer the rest of the mailbag questions. We'll be right back. You've got mail. <laughs> All right, Alicia. Let's go to an email we got from Jay in Atlanta. Michael and Alicia, I'm curious to hear your takes on the following. Here are the following records of the six of the other teams we have beaten this season, not counting their losses to us. Fresno State, four and five, Stanford, four and five, Colorado, four and five, Arizona, four and five, Cal, five and four, and ASU five and four. How exactly could anyone celebrate these wins with a straight face? Especially in light of the fact that that even three of these were against games that could have easily been losses like ASU, Fresno State, and Colorado. The Pac-12 is awful. How is winning the South or even the conference considered a benchmark of sorts for an elite program? Both should be afterthoughts, not goals. Beating these teams should be sparring matches for pre- to prepare for teams in the playoffs.
3: Playoffs? Don't
2: talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Mm-hmm. Prepare for the playoffs. For a legitimately elite program, in my honest opinion. We are nowhere near this as a program right now. What do you think the odds are that Bone and Dr. Folt do not feel this way, Jay in Atlanta?
4: Well, I mean, that's a good point, Jay. Um I think mean, the problem is is that USC is where they are, and like we can shout to the heavens about how this isn't good enough for USC, but like this is where USC is. So some of, part of it has to be that we just discuss this team for what it is, and that means beating a five and four Cal team the way that USC beat that five and four Cal team. You take the win because, like you said, you're not guaranteed wins in these games uh, because USC is in the state that it is. Uh, as for as for Mike Bone and, and Carol Folt. I mean, they talk about it like they do, but they are outsiders, and they were desired to, to to come in as outsiders. So, does Mike Bone know what it what it is like to be part of a truly elite football program? He doesn't, because uh, Colorado and uh, and Cincinnati are not truly elite football programs. But maybe an outside perspective is a good thing, from the, from the sense of. When he was at Colorado, USC was the cream of the crop. And his standards for USC might be like that. Like, Michael, you always talk about how growing up, USC was bad. So, like, in your heart of hearts, you always feel like USC should be at that level. And so then when they're overachieving, it, like, feels better because, like, wow, USC's, like, actually good, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. There's a psychology to this that the teams that are good and bad, when you start to become a fan of a sport, that's usually how you look at teams for the rest of your life, because that, that was your first, your first interaction with them, your, your first impression. So for me, uh, when I think of like blue blood programs, Nebraska, right up there, Colorado was very good in the, in the nineties, and the early two thousands. Uh, you know, I, I think of Florida state, uh, Penn state was always very good. Like, these were teams that were very good when I was a kid, uh, that had that went up and down, right? And so, it, it's it, it changes, yeah. What your 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 opinion of of what USC is and what anybody else is, is dependent on your interpretation of that program from your vantage point. And so, certainly, I could see Bones' opinion of USC be different. but Bones also a lot older, to the point where it's not like he's only. Interaction with USC is, you know, the last five years or his time at Colorado. Like he, he's known about USC for a long time.
4: Right. But he was closest to USC when he was the AD at Colorado. And when he was the AD sure. at Colorado, USC was a premier program in, in the country and competing for national titles, uh, at least for the beginning portion of his tenure at Colorado. So, like, I think maybe he might have an appreciation of what USC should be, of where USC should be that potentially works in USC's favor. Um, but at the same time, he's also somebody who has been in programs that haven't been uber successful. So maybe his perception is one where he just appreciates every little win because that's what he had to do when he was at Colorado and when he was at Cincinnati. So it's hard to say. It could go either way. But I think that uh, at this stage, the way he's talking, the way Dr. Foltz is talking – uh yeah, they seem to get that USC should be competing for national titles.
2: Yeah. That that's that's where the party did, line is right now. What did he
4: say? He said in the in the introductory press conference that uh they want to be fight the
2: fight on to victory, remember? Well,
4: fight on to victory, that, that phrase that Clay Hilton has killed, but he said that uh they want to be the best at everything that they do,
2: which is the standard that you should use. Or as uh as as Coach Boone would would always say, gotta be perfect in every aspect of the game. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Let's go to our voicemail from Scott from Memphis.
6: Hey, Michael and Alicia, this is Scott from Memphis. Great, awesome game. Complete and total game. And beating Cal was wonderful. Beating UCLA next week is essential. I have one question for the both of you. Uh, The Clay Helton thing will play itself out. I'll make more comments on that after the UCLA game. But the question I have for you two that started to kind of strike me towards the end of that Cal game, what do we do, whoever the coach is, what do we do for next year with Keaton Slovis and JT? And I mean, do we, do we think that, I think that Keaton should, he's the, the front runner. He should be starting next year. This is kind of a Jake Fromm moment uh fields and from I, I think that uh I think it's a situation where Keaton has proven that he's I think he's the better quarterback. JT had all of last year and I I just don't think JT ever completely developed and I think Keaton Slovis is the man. He's the man. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. The Clay Helton situation, I think that that's better time to discuss that after U C L A game and we can assess that because all bets are off if we lose to the, to the men in blue, which we should not. Anyway, fight on. Have a good one. Take care.
2: Thanks for the calls, always, Scott. I, I think the, the Jake Fromm thing is very interesting because I don't think this is Jake Fromm and Justin Fields. This is the year before that. This is Jake Fromm and Jacob Eason uh, because Jacob Eason was the number one quarterback in the country coming out of high school he goes to Georgia, he wins the starting job as a true freshman, he ends up getting hurt in year two, and lo and behold, Uga has a guy who's a true freshman too, and he replaces him, and Jacob Easton gets Wally Pipped, and they have a quarterback battle the following year, and uh, From wins it to Wally Pippum, uh, and Jacob Easton transfers. I think that is the most likely scenario right now. Right? Like I, I think that, that if we're if we're gonna say that there's a there's an example of this happening, that's it, right? Uh JT Daniels, one of the, the highest ranked recruits coming out of high school, uh in his class as a true freshman, wins the job, uh gets hurt at the beginning of his of his true sophomore season, and here's another true freshman in, in Keaton Slovis, takes over, is in now position to wally pip him, and if he wally pips him, then we'll see what happens. And if if JT goes the route of Jacob Eason and transfers to uh, Washington or wherever, I don't know. But I I, I think it's too early at this point to say exactly what will happen. I think that it's going to be interesting because JT is going to miss spring. So that might push the timeline back. I wouldn't be surprised if JT waited out next year, even if he lost the job, uh, and transferred as a grad transfer. And then went someplace and had two years to play too.
4: Yeah, I I totally agree with you there. But um, really, it's just too early to to say anything. I think that Keaton Slovis has proven himself as one of the brightest young talents we've seen at USC. I think there's something about Keaton that feels like it that we never quite saw from JT last year. We thought that he might have that, and uh, once he got into the thrown into the action, obviously under worse circumstances, but still thrown in, into the action. And uh, he, he didn't seem to have that quality that uh, allows the game to slow down for you and, and to really just sort of take off the way that Keaton has. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they progress, assuming that USC ends up with a new coaching staff, how they fit into new, to potentially a new offense. All of those kinds of things are, are big, big, big wild cards. But one of the things that um, I appreciate about USC is the school motto. Uh, let he who earns the palm bear it. I think you should apply that to the quarterback position. Whichever one wins the job, when the new coaches or whatever, holdover coaches or whatever, however it all plays out, whoever gets the job, I want them to earn it. And that, to me, means that looking at it from the, well, JT was the number one quarterback in the class and five-star and Keaton was the you know three-star, whatever, that he Wally pipped or, or anything like that. None of that really matters to me. It's who wins the job when the time comes for that competition to uh, to launch again. And we shall see.
2: Yeah, we shall see indeed. Who knows? Maybe JT wins the job and all, all the, the everything that's pointing that way now doesn't go that way. So who knows? Uh, so much time uh, will we'll tell. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Michael in Long Beach. Hey, Alicia and Michael. Great name, by the way. This uh, question is directed to the both of you, but please have Michael read it. Rot Nation needs to be serenaded with more of his silky, smooth voice. Going into this season, I was expecting to see Valus Jones get more playing time on offense than he seems to be getting. Any thoughts on why that is? Is he just not a good fit for the scheme? And maybe too far down on the depth chart? Side question. Can we get Michael mic'd up <laughs> th- while Alicia is recording the rewatches? I think this is, that his Madden outburst should make for good juxtaposition to Alicia's descent into madness. Fight on, Michael from Long Beach.
4: <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Uh, that last bit is a reference to, uh, on Patreon, the rewatch, the last couple of ones of the rewatch. Michael has been playing his Madden uh, game while i've been recording and uh interjecting with uh updates about the happenings usually big yeah, plays. i'm in
2: a madden league uh it, it's very competitive i'm not competitive <laughs> oh i'm I, I as a person am competitive i'm not competitive in the league uh but i get very upset when i block field goals and then I strut in inside the ten and get tackled at the three yard line right before halftime. I, I get very upset.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's that's why you don't strut, Michael. Act like you've been there before. I know, which you haven't because you suck at Madden, and I get to say that because I suck worse at Madden. That game is dumb. I hate it. Bring back NCAA. Uh, <laughs> but but, Michael, thank you for the email. And yeah, Velas Jones has not gotten the level of playing time that we thought he would get. There was a lot of talk about rotation in the receiving core uh, early in the season. And basically, USC's just run with the four guys that they run with. And we saw more Valis in this last game because Tyler Vaughn's was limited. Uh, but uh, but really, that seems to be the only way that he's going to have an impact. And uh, that's a bummer. That sure is a bummer. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't think it's like a scheme thing. I don't think it's a situation where he's not able or capable of of contributing for USC. I think it's just that the four guys that they have, they have so much confidence in them, and those are guys that don't want to come off the field, and so they don't come off the field.
2: Yeah, I expected a lot more uh, out, of, out of Avalis Jones. Um, I didn't expect there to be this little rotation as there is. Um, it's great that they've been able to get, I think, as much as they have out of Michael Pittman, Amonara St. Brown, and Tyler Vaughns. All three have been fantastic for SC all season, and they all have been big producers. There's a reason why they're all among the top three or four wide receivers, three, four, five wide receivers in the Pac-12, because SC's able to keep giving them the ball, and they keep staying on the field. At the same point, yeah, I think there's there's weapons on this team that I think that SC has not utilized, like Valus Jones, and certainly like a uh, a, a certain... Number sixteen.
1: Dom Davis down the sideline.
2: Just saying, just saying.
4: Yep, you are just saying. Mm-hmm. See, here's. Uh, gonna. Yeah, go just his last thought. Last thought on this. valus Jones not being utilized is not a great sin, but it feels like it's the kind of thing that separates a, you know, an offense that can be great with an offense that is great. Like, being able—it's hard to—when you have as many playmakers as USC has, it is hard to feed them all. But maybe a more skilled offensive system and more skilled offensive coordinator— nothing against Graham Harrell, but he's very young in his progression at this point. Right. That maybe he would be able to get more out of everybody that way.
2: I think it it would be a more forgivable um, omission if this team wasn't having those critical errors that they keep having— if this team was scoring 45 50 points a game it wouldn't matter because then how can you sit here and, and complain right you know but but they're not but they're not so uh maybe Valus Jones would 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 impact that stuff maybe not but so when you're not seeing it it's easy to sit here and be like well why not give him a try and yeah I'm, I'm right there with you I, I think he should I think he should get more run uh at the same time who are you gonna take the care the, the the place from? It's it's difficult because you want to get Michael Pittman the ball as much as possible, and Omar Saint Brown the ball as much as possible, and Tyler Bonds as much as possible. It's hard to it's hard to get all those guys to eat. That's uh, that's for sure. Uh, let's go to a, one final voicemail we got from Joe, uh, our big Arsenal fan.
3: Hey guys, I just wanted to say um, in a real talk how the hell did Clay Hilton, or at least his job outlive the jobs of Mike Babcock and Mauricio Pochettino. It's kind of insane. Um, Anyways, uh, fight on, especially the men's basketball, who are uh, either 4-0 or 5-0 to start the season. I think 4-0. But anyways, um, they look really good. Uh, I hope other Trojan fans continue to uh, give them support, especially since football is winding down. Uh, Anyways, fight on, and and, uh, have a good day.
2: Thanks for the call, Joe. Uh, Alicia, what do you think about the uh, the big, earth-shattering sacking of uh, Mike Babcock on Wednesday?
4: See, I don't know anything about Mike Babcock, but I can say that uh, Joe bringing up Mauricio Pochettino and uh, Clay Helton living outliving Mauricio Pochettino is outrageous. I had not put that together, but that is a very, very, very good point. Less than six months ago... Mauricio Pochettino was in the Champions League final.
2: Like I know but, people Alicia, don't want the, the Leafs talk. were like picked to win the cup. What? The Leafs were picked to win the cup and like as recently as like last year Mike Babcock was the best coach in hockey.
4: Well, okay, then it's comparable.
2: It's absolutely comparable. Yeah. Like he, I said, he's, I don't... he's won gold medals, he's, he's won a Stanley Cup, like Mike Babcock is the man. Well, uh in, in terms of resume, uh, and here he is out of a job because the Leafs just completely struggled to get out of the gate.
4: Well, okay, so here's a question for you, Mr. Kings fan. How quickly uh, would you uh, jump sorry, on that? Sorry, there's
2: no hockey season this year. There's so.
4: there's no hockey season. What if no, what if the Kings was, was what if the Kings brought in Mike bab, Babcock? Bag, blah, 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 babcock.
2: It's a long silence. Oh, you have to ask me that. Why? I mean, I would, I would absolutely take him over Todd McClellan, but like at the same point, like I, I feel like the criticisms of Mike Babcock are that the game is passing him by, uh, and that that he he's so. He's very set in his ways, not playing the youth, uh, not trusting his playmakers. He lost the team and all that kind of stuff. Maybe that's just one of the things where you just end up losing a team, and you can go back to, to a different team, uh, and 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 be reinvigorated by a different set of different set of guys. Uh, but at the same point, it does a little worry me uh, a little bit that Mike Babcock feels a little Jose Mourinho-ish
4: in a sense. Well, speaking of Jose Mourinho, we're about to see if he can find some more uh, of that magic. That he brought to the table because he just took over the He He's a special so. one, yeah. It's indeed. In the- yep. uh, okay. I'm happy with my normal one, so. Your normal one? Klopp called himself like he joked when he was named the manager at Liverpool that he's
2: the normal one. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Any final thoughts? Um, my
4: final thoughts are that it is very, very late and uh I don't think I can speak words coherently anymore, so we
2: should probably just end it. <laughs> it's
4: it's
0: two AM.
2: Yeah. I am dying. Yeah. Yeah. Final word.
4: The final word is dying. Isn't I'm something we're both doing. I'm I'm dying for this weekend. Uh, and to find out what goes
2: on with USC. Sounds good. Uh, until then, we'll be back with the CarCast on Saturday night uh, with our friend Jake Merrifield from the What's Bruin Show. Uh, he's going to join us in studio for a CarCast. Uh, it's not going to be in a car. Sorry, Keely. Sorry, Keely. Mm-hmm. Until then, see ya. Yeah.
3: See ya. See